All right. So November November 1st, this is How to Win in Court Without a Liar. This is Dave Horowitz, and I'll be your host tonight. And uh, if you guys could, it's going to be patient with me tonight. It's going to be a lot of material. I've prepared a lot more material tonight uh, for this topic than I usually do. So we may go over an hour, but I'm hoping to get to uh, some question and answers as well. So bear with me, and if you could, just uh, hold your questions for question time. All right, so uh, why all governments are a fraud and how to stop it. Okay, that wasn't a misspelling. (laughs) And we'll get into that as well tonight. So, but first thing I want to cover is fraud and what the elements of fraud are, or at least the nine elements of common law fraud and what it takes to prove that. Okay? So fraud is an intentionally deceptive action designed to provide the perpetrator with an unlawful, with an unlawful gain or to deny a right to a victim. I'm going to say it again. Fraud is an intentionally deceptive action designed to provide the perpetrator full gain or to deny a right to a victim. All right, so in common law, law, fraud is a tort, okay? It's it's injurious, okay? And uh, elements of fraud are intentional misrepresentation or concealment of an important fact upon which the victim is meant to rely, and in fact does rely to the harm of the victim. All right? There has to be clear and convincing evidence uh, and an intent to defraud. Okay? And that's just regular fraud. That's what they're looking at uh, for regular fraud. And remedies for fraud may include a rescission or reversal of fraudulently obtained agreement or transaction recovery of a monetary award to compensate for the harm caused, punitive damages to punish or deter the misconduct. So in cases of fraudulently induced contracts, fraud may serve as a defense in a civil action for a breach of contract or specific performance of contract. Fraud may also serve as a basis for a court to invoke its equitable jurisdiction. Very important. Fraud may serve as a basis for a court court to invoke its equitable jurisdiction. And the reason that is is because they corporations, you can pierce the corporate veil without question for fraud, which means that anybody hiding behind a corporate veil is basically has no protections, no limited liability. They're fully 100% liable, period. Okay? So fraud may serve as a basis for a court to invoke its equitable jurisdiction. Okay? The wizard gets on, you know, <laughs> the veil gets pulled back. Come on, Toto. All right. In common law jurisdictions, as a criminal offense, fraud takes many different forms some general and some specific, like theft by false pretenses, okay? So the elements of, uh, excuse me, uh, theft by false pretense, intentional deception of a victim by false representation or pretense with the intent of persuading the victim 
to part with property and with the victim parting with the property in reliance on the representation or pretense and with the perpetrator intending on keeping the property of the victim. Okay, that's step by false pretense. Okay, interesting, right? They uh, intended, okay, to persuade the victim to part with their own property. I wonder who does that. We'll get into that. <laughs> All right. And it's based on the reliance that this representation uh, that they were making with uh, actually was true, which you'll find pretty soon that it wasn't. So again, uh, when I was mentioning this before the recording, and I do want to mention it now, uh, tonight I might be going a little bit long. Um, I have a lot of information to cover, and what I decided to do is present, uh, present what fraud is, what the elements to prove fraud is, okay, and then put the government on... Uh, a little bit of a trial here. Uh, present my case and my claims, okay? And then we'll, we'll top it with a stopper. All right? Should be a good show, a lot of good information. Okay, moving on. So common law identifies nine elements to establish fraud, okay? And I'm going to name them all, and then we're going to go each, through each one, okay? First one, representation of a fact. Two, it's falsity. Three, it's materiality. Four, the representer's knowledge of its falsity or ignorance of its truth. Five, the representer's intent that it should be accepted upon the person in the manner, reason in a, in the manner reasonably contemplated. Six, the injured party's ignorance of its falsity. Seven, the injured party's reliance on it as if it was true. Eight, the injured party's right to rely thereon. Nine, and the final one, the injured party's consequent and proximate injury from the representation, whereas a caused by this representation or false representation, whatever the case may be. All right, so to successfully allege a claim for common law fraud, a plaintiff must plead each element with specificity and particularity, okay? It has to be specific and it has to be particular, okay? No beating around the bush, bring in the facts, bring in the evidence, okay? Representation. A representation is a presentment of fact, either by words or actions made to induce somebody or someone else to act on it, on that representation. All right. Bob Walker. All right, Bob, thanks for joining. Uh, you could just mute out until, uh, until it's question time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Hey. All right. So to successfully plead this element, a plaintiff must allege with specificity, specificity and particularity what misrepresentations were made, when they were made, who made them, the, uh, who made the representation, and to whom they were made. A representation also includes a party's failure to disclose certain facts or deliberate 
uh, or deliberate concealment of a material fact or material facts. Okay? And maybe you see where I'm going with this. As we were told things our whole life, <laughs> and they were false. They were fraudulent. They were misrepresentations of fact or <laughs> representations that were a lie and not a fact at all. Facts must be disclosed when they are so vital and material to a transaction that if known by one party and not the other, the agreement could be void or would be voidable. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Facts must be disclosed when they are so vital and material to a transaction that if known by one party and not the other, the agreement would be voidable. Okay? That's the first element. Second element. Falsity of the representation. Okay, that's the second element. A false representation is the cornerstone to an action of fraud. A representer's state of mind or intent can demonstrate the falsity of the representation. Hopefully you guys are taking notes or get a copy of the, uh, the recording after this because this, this is good stuff, practical stuff. Okay? Element three, materiality of the representation, okay? A representation or concealment of a fact is material if it operates as an inducement to the other party to enter into the contract where except for that inducement, it would not have done so. To be material, the false statement does not have to actually contribute to a loss under the contract. Instead, it just needs to induce the other party to act, to do something that they wouldn't have done had they had known better. Material representation, as per blacks, is a representation to which a reasonable person would attach importance in deciding his or her course of action in a transaction. Element four, representer's knowledge of the representation's falsity or ignorance of the truth. Okay, the representer's knowledge of the representation's falsity or ignorance of the truth. All right, so false representations made recklessly and without regard for the truth in order to induce action by another are the equivalent of misrepresentations knowingly and intentionally uttered. Element five, representers intent to induce the other party to act on the representation uh, on whatever the representation is okay so a defendant who acts with knowledge that a result will follow is considered to intend the result real simple okay the nature of the rep uh, representation must have information okay that would lead a reasonable man to conclude that there is an especial likelihood that it would reach those persons and will influence their conduct. Okay, that's element five. Element six, injured party's ignorance of the representation's falsity. If a plaintiff knows a representation is false, a cause of action for common law fraud will not exist. If the plaintiff only knows the falsity of some of the elements, of a representation, 
that knowledge that knowledge will prevent a finding of fraud based on the concealment of other excuse me will not prevent a finding of fraud based on the concealment of other elements. Element seven, the injured party's actual reliance on the truth of the representation. Actual reliance on the truth of the representation, actual reliance occurs when a misrepresentation is an immediate cause of the plaintiff's conduct which alters his legal relations. And when, absent such representation, he would not, in all reasonable probability, have entered into the contract or transaction in the first place. Element eight, injured party's right to rely on the representation. A party does not have a right to rely on a representation if they are aware that the representation is false, not forcible, or not made to them. Essentially, a party is not justified in relying on, a rep on representations when they had ample time to ascertain the truth of the action before acting on the information. Element nine, injured party suffered consequent and proximate injury. Basically, you have to show and provide evidence of injury and damages. An action of fraud will not lie where the plaintiff has suffered no injury or damages. To be actionable, the alleged misrepresentation must not have, uh, yeah, must not have only induced the recipient's reliance, but must have caused the recipient's loss. All right. So those are the elements of common law fraud as a tort. Excuse me. And tonight I'm going to say, and I'm going to make the claim, uh, I'm going to make the case for the claim that all government is fraud, just like in the title of the, uh, for tonight's topic, okay? So let's, let's make the claim, all right? Element one, representation of fact. My claim is that the fact represented that government and its agents have authority over a man or woman and or their things. That's my claim. Okay, that they basically represent this fact that they have authority over everything and everybody. Okay, you guys could mute your uh, mute your phones for a bit, please. Thank you. All right. So the evidence I'm going to pre present here. Okay, and you make your own decision. Okay, we all a lot of us grew up in the U.S., Canada, the U.K. Doesn't matter because this really pertains to all governments everywhere, okay? We're indoctrinated to believe it from the day that we are born and every single day thereafter. Schools teach it, cops enforce it, courts and judges confirm it, and politicians and agents flaunt it. It is done through agents' words and actions to induce others to act as if they are subject to these illusionary authorities. Okay, that's my element one, a, re a, a representation of fact. The government represents that they have, or agents represent that they have authority over you and your stuff. Okay, I would say that that's absolutely false, and when questioned, no evidence of that fact 
is ever presented. As a matter of fact, uh, it kind of gets your cases dismissed and, and uh, you know, you left alone if you do it correctly. All right. So element two is its falsity, okay? Here's the claim. No man or woman has authority over anyone but themselves. This is my claim, okay? Or over something that somebody else owns. You only have authority over what is yours, what you own. Okay? Evidence from the day, okay, we're told from the day we're born, or birth, that you have a duty to obey and must pledge allegiance to government, and that agents of governments have authority over you and your things. At 12 or 13, you need government's permission to work. At first, your parents are forced to register you, okay? At, at 16 or so, you're, you have to get permission to drive, okay? When you buy a car, your property, okay, that it has to be registered and insured with the government, okay? That when you want to get married, uh, you have to get permission from the government. And this list can go on and on and on ad nauseum, uh, and I really do hope you get the point, okay, that, that their claim of authority and their claim that they have to control everything, including you and your stuff, is a false claim. This authority is false especially in this country or in, in, you know, where supposedly it's representative government. <laughs> They're claiming to represent you. I don't know about any of you, but I've never signed a power of attorney to have anybody represent me, especially these criminal, you know, self-serving clowns that call themselves my representatives. <laughs> Falsely claim to be my representatives. So anyway, I, I, you know, and again, none of those representations are true, okay? They are your representatives. That's, that's another representation of falsehood, okay? Element three, the materiality of the re representation, okay? Material facts, okay? Governments and agents indoctrinate everyone to believe the representations just stated as facts in order to induce everyone to subject themselves and their things to government's unconscionable, illusionary authority. That's my claim, okay? And, and in the, material, the materiality of it is they are doing it. If an agent comes to you, they are claiming that they have authority over you. They are acting on the presumption or the assumption that they have authority over you in the first place. And if that is a, an illusion, if that is a fraud, okay, then anything the government does to any one of us is it done in fraud, criminally. Again, unless you have a contract with them, and even then, even then, if that contract was fraudulently induced in the first place, or wasn't, all the facts weren't disclosed, it's still a fraud. And that is... You know, that, that, that's an easy uh, one to put together there, okay? These representations are made, okay, to induce us to act in a certain way, okay? In this case, to submit to government to every single whim, okay? They say, jump, you say, how high? You say, you know, they say, go over here, and, and if you don't, they throw you in a cage. Or if they say, don't go there, and you do, they throw you in a cage. They're acting all the time, 
all the time to induce, okay, their representation of authority upon us, okay? And, and every time they do that, it's a material fact. That's why I say record your interactions with these people, with these men and women, because they're acting, okay? They're acting in fraud. And when they're acting in fraud, that uh, corporate veil that they've been hiding under and hiding behind is pierced. Simple corporate law. The one thing that will pierce the corporate veil and allow access to the Wizard of Oz hiding behind it, whatever man or woman is acting as if, okay, is fraud. All right, so we're going to move on to element four. The representative's knowledge of the representation's falsity or ignorance of the truth, okay? And this is a simple claim. They either know and let you go, or they're ignorant and they get angry when you question their authority. <laughs> okay? Here's some evidence. When you're quite, you guys could mute your, uh, mute your phones out for a little bit. I appreciate it. So when questioned about their authority or lack thereof, they never provide evidence as to where that supposed authority comes from. When someone with supposed government authority is questioned, they may get angry that you are questioning them in the first place, or they're going to just smirk and let you go, okay? And you can tell just by their face or the expression on their face, whether it's angry or, you know, oops, you got me, <laughs> it is to know which one is ignorant and which one sure knows what's going on. And they do. A lot of them do know what's going on and do it anyway, okay, because it's their job and that's how they make a living. Well, it seems to me like a fraudulent way to make a living. Anyway, element five, the rep, uh, represents intent to induce the other party to act on the representation. Hmm. <laughs> An intent to induce. Agents will deceive, coerce cause distress, and even resort to threats of violence and violence itself. That's their MO. That's the way they operate, okay? Evidence. Cops do it all the time and forcing this authority on people, okay? It's taught in every school. Obey, obey, obey. Obey those who are above you. And they're constantly putting pictures as to who those above you are, Okay? A man or a woman acts in judgment, okay? Or a man, and a, a man or a woman acts as a lawmaker, okay? They're intending to induce the other party to act on that representation, obviously. Or why would they be spending all this time and, and your money trying to extort you for more of your time and your money? Because they benefit from it. Element six. The injured party's ignorance to the representation's falsity. All right? Here's my claim. We're, we're all told not to question authority from day one. In order to bypass uh, the logic and reason, uh, you know, especially when it comes to government or its agents' authority. Okay? It never enters most people's, most men or women's mind or even children's mind to do it based on, you know, the years in programming and indoctrination. Okay? Most of us at, some, at one point in our life have been absolutely ignorant to 
the fact that government and government agents have no authority over you. They only act as if they do. Okay? And, and, and just to, you know, just to show our own ignorance, right? <laughs> we, we had, you know, we paid taxes, we registered our kids and our stuff and, you know, everything we own. You know, and we submit to the rules and, 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 the one who, and the ones who enforce those rules, okay? And if it wasn't for the threat of force or the violence or the coercion or the misrepresentation and, and just the straight-up false claims, okay, if we weren't worried about being, you know, taken out of our homes and, and, and you know, in the dark and beaten and thrown in a cage, would any of you really pay taxes? Because, you know because you want to support this ridiculous thing that murders, kills, robs, and destroys? <laughs> or do you do it just because you're afraid? Because that's one of the things they use to induce you. Okay. Element seven. Injured party's actual reliance on the truth of the representation. Well, I just said it, you know. People rely on these representations every single day all around the world, all around the world, okay? Men and women pay taxes, men and women following government rules, men and women asking government permission to do anything, okay? Would you do that if you weren't induced into believing that they had authority over you in the, in the first place? Excuse me. I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't now. Eliminate. The injured party's right to rely on the representation. Well, anywhere that you are birthed or born in this world, okay, you've got a, a government telling you just how it is, and, you know, you have the right to do everything except question us, okay? I mean, for crying out loud, you want to read something interesting, look at the Canadian, uh, you know, constitution and, and uh, rights or anyway. Look in here. If the Queen says exactly that. <laughs> you can have it. You, you have the right to associate with anybody you want, except government. You have no choice. I mean, come on. The right to rely on it? Yeah, they tell us our whole life. This is how it is. You have constitutional rights. You've got rights. Government was created, uh, you know, to protect rights. And, and, and then you find out it's a lie and you start to wake up. Okay. That's why most of us are on this search for truth in the first place. All right, the, the final element, element nine, the injured party suffered consequent and proximate injuries. Well, here's my claim. You guys have paid taxes, fines, fees, and all kinds of ridiculous extortions, okay, your entire lives. They have a full accounting. They do. If government does one thing right, they keep records. And they know every single time that you had an interaction with them, whether it was your first tax return or your first working papers or your birth record or anything else that, that's gone on in their fictional commerce world, there is a record of it. Demand a full appointment. I'm not going to go into that tonight. All right? <laughs> Men and women are assaulted, caged, and even murdered, okay, directly as a result of this false representation of authority all the time, all over the world, and that is the truth, okay? 
How have you been injured? Okay? Because of, of your beliefs in government. How many years did you pay 20, 30, 50% or more of, or, of your energy to pay and, and, and support this ridiculous claim that, they, you know, so that they, this machine that has authority over you, okay? Or they claim to. You know, how many licenses and, and you know, and, and registrations and taxes uh, for houses and your property? How many times have you been fined for using your property in a way that they don't like it? Okay? So, again, you're talking fraud. All of it was induced fraud. Okay? And as I promised in, in, in the beginning here, I am going to get into how to stop it. All right? I've been, I was working on a... Uh, I was working on a notice of default um, to the judicial notice that most most of you have, or if you haven't, feel free to ask me for a copy of the memorandum of law and, and the uh, judicial notice. I'm happy to happy to give you that. Um, but I was working on a, a follow-up uh, notice to that for uh, someone in Canada actually who, who used this. Uh, to use as well, I'm sorry, as a second notice. But um, I just want to give you the definition of estoppel, uh, and, and this is a specific estoppel, estoppel by representation of fact, and it is a common law action, okay? It is a common law action, estoppel by representation of fact. Well, everything we just talked about of this fraud, okay, improving fraud, and how <laughs> the government... Uh, fraudulently claims authority over men and women and their stuff, okay? And that is because of that misrepresentation or representation of fact, okay, you can do an estoppel. And that will stop them uh, <laughs> from doing it to you further, okay? So the definition of estoppel by representation of fact an estoppel by representation of fact will arise, bet arise between A, party A, and party B if the following elements are made out. And there are f uh, five. First, A makes a false representation of fact to B or to a group of which B is a member or was a member. It is not necessary to d demonstrate A knew that the representation was untrue. Don't need to demonstrate that. Second, in making the representation, A, intended to, or in the alternatively, knew that it was likely to be acted upon. Third, B, believing the representation, acts to its own detriment in reliance on that representation. It must have been reasonable to have relied on the representation in the first place. Fourth, a subsequently seeks to deny the truth of the representation. <laughs> and fifth, no defense to the estoppel can be raised by A. Now, this is important, okay? No defense to the estoppel can be raised by A, which is why it shuts them up and shuts them down. And if you've read the judicial notice and the memorandum, uh, you know, you're directly questioning 
their authority throughout that entire thing to subjugate you or your things to them, okay? Now, I'm going to go down a little bit here and show you how I put one of those together very simply and very easily, just that definition as my outline. An estoppel by representation of fact arises between, and I'm going to say, the U.S. government, including all agents thereof, including the men and women noticed above by name, and a man or woman of God, as the following elements are made out. First, the United States Corporation and all agents thereof make false representation of fact to a man or a group of which that man or woman was a member that the U.S. corporation has authority over a man, and that mankind is subject to the U.S. corporation. Second, in making this representation, the U.S. corporation and all agents thereof intended or in the alternatively knew that it was likely to be acted upon. Third, man or woman believing that representation, believing that representation for a time and acted to their own detriment in reliance on that representation, that they themselves were subject and owned by the U.S. corporation and or its agents. Fourth, by and through acquiescence of their silence, because they will never respond. They will never, ever, ever bring evidence of their authority over you or your stuff, okay, when you ask them the questions and force them to prove their subject matter jurisdiction. They cannot because it's, it, none of us have a right to have authority over anybody else other than stuff that you own or yourself, period. And if you don't have that right, then as, as your representatives or claimed representatives, they don't have that right either. And at best, they can make rules for themselves. That goes for us as well. All right, so where were we? Three, four, where were we? Okay. Uh, third, the man believing the representation for a time and acted to his own detriment and reliance that that represented that the representation that he or she herself uh, themselves was subject and owned by U.S. corporation or its agents. Fourth, by and through acquiescence by their silence, the U.S. corporation, including all agents thereof and including those specifically notified above, with the attached notice. Uh, of jurisdictional inquiry and judicial notice of private trust in the form of an affidavit subsequently seeks to deny the truth of that representation and or provide any evidence to prove their representations of authority. Fifth, no defense to the estoppel can be raised by the U.S. corporation or any agents thereof as they had 30 days to rebut response to the, the notice and attached affidavit of fact or to provide any evidence of their authority over the man or an legus persona. The U.S. Corporation and all of their agents had a 30-day opportunity to rebut and to refute the claims and answer the questions provided in the notice and affidavit of facts. And as of the 30 days, and the U.S. Corporation and all agents thereof notified have failed to respond in writing or otherwise provide any evidence to prove to prove to prove their representation. Therefore, any statement or fact asserted in the attached notice of jurisdictional inquiry and notice of private trust and not rebutting in writing will stand as fact against any and all claims of the U.S. corporation or any of agents thereof. 
any further correspondence uh, uh, from the U.S. corporation or any agent thereof must be submitted in writing and with full commercial liability should that communication overstep the U.S. corporation and all agents' want of authority over the man and the this person. And that's it, guys. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's my presentation for the night. And, wow, it went so much faster than I thought it would. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad in, in, in a way because uh, I'm sure you'll have uh, a, a bunch of questions here and, and we can get, you know, we can dive deep into the, uh, to this topic here for a minute. If uh, anybody has any questions, I'm going to open the, the floor up to you guys now. Nobody has a question or a comment or <laughs> anybody want to try and be the devil's advocate and <laughs> try and say that the government does have actual authority? David, no I, what I wonder is, okay. you know, when, with the court system nowadays, would you have to get this into, I mean, like a common law setting, or would they just say, well, that doesn't apply here, and just ride well, right over like they do with so many things? Well, it doesn't make a difference whether they say it applies or it doesn't apply, because the judicial notice itself cannot be uh, accepted or deni you know, uh, denied in the first place. Judicial notice has to be taken. It's irrefutable. Okay, this is, and again, this is why I wouldn't just use this as a first notice, but as a second, this is perfect follow-up to sending that judicial notice. Because if they won't, and they're not going to respond to your judicial notice, They'll, they'd rather just leave you alone. They would much rather uh, dismiss any charges against you, okay, than to have you expose that they have no authority in the first place and they can't prove that they have it at all. Subject matter jurisdiction, authority, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, they don't have that over you or your stuff if you're managing your stuff right. Again, if you're still tied with these contracts and stuff, you definitely have an actionable fraud, okay, claim through common law. Yes, you can, you can uh, invoke that and you can invoke the equitable um, jurisdiction of the court and go after it that way against the actor, okay? Not, not the office, not the fiction, the man or the woman who is being tortious, fraudulently tortious against you. Did that answer your question, Chad? Yeah, it, I mean, to a certain extent it does. And, and I know you, it's, it's hard to even come up with uh, an answer because you don't know i'm i'm thinking more you know if they don't respond don't do anything and you end up with a court case out of it um will the judge even uh you know consider your stop well see that's the nice thing about a stopple and i'll go back and read the definition again there's the estoppel itself is an action Okay? It's an action. Okay? So, estoppel by representation of fact will arise between A and B, and the following elements are made out. 
So if you go through that, A makes a false representation of fact to B or a group that B was a member. It's not necessary to demonstrate that A knew the, that the representation was untrue. And second, in making the representation, A intended or alternatively knew that it was likely to be acted upon. Third, believing the representation acts to its detriment and reliance to the, on the representation, okay? And it must be reasonable to, you know, to rely on that representation. Yeah, it's, we, were, we were told our whole life to rely on that misrepresentation, that government does have authority, that it is legitimate, that you, they can charge you for taxes, that they can throw you in a cage for disobeying Caesar, okay? Or a, a subsequently seeks to deny the truth of that representation. You question them in, in the judicial notice, okay? Blatantly question their authority in that judicial notice. They don't respond. They don't provide any evidence. And they won't because they can't. And this is the main, the, the binding element of estoppel, okay? Fifth, no defense to the estoppel can be raised by, A, the government. This. It, it is because it's, it, it's been declared at that point, okay? You're making a declaration. You're not asking for their permission. Same with the judicial notice. Okay, that, that clarified a lot for me there when you said it was an action and it's not asking them to do something. Nope, it's barring them from doing something else. Sorry, guys. I'm going to need to take a two-second break to let my dog out. He's crying. <laughs> if somebody has a question, I'm still listening. Please, uh, please ask the question, and uh, and I will answer it. I just have to. My old dog here's uh, crying. All right, I'm back. <laughs> All right, so uh, did that pretty much cover it, Chad? Yeah, it did. Thank you. You're welcome. we have any other questions, comments, suggestions? I know we got a bunch of people on the line. The floor is yours. I thought this topic may have uh, induced some, more, you know, lots of questions. I guess not. But uh, okay, so we'll open it up to any topic. If you've got a topic, whether it pertains to uh, what we're discussing tonight, or uh, you have an issue that you're dealing with in court, or, or uh, something with the government that you're dealing with, and you need some help or have some questions, please feel free. Oh, nobody. A little. Oh, if somebody else wants to go, go ahead. Go ahead, John. Oh, I I was just um, say like property taxes. Um, you you know you, you still have registered things your property with them, but at the same token, you could go back and basically do what you're stating and showing that they didn't have the authority and that you were taught to believe this your whole life and all yep. that absolutely and then you call them into a full accounting for fraud 
and they can't hide behind it. And again, it may not be the people that are working in government immediately. It could have been, you know, and hell, I'm, I'm 51. A lot of changes of people come and go in government offices all the time, but they do keep good records. And they were acting as if they were the, this principle called the government. So the principle is the one that committed the fraud. The agents come and go. But you can make an accounting for sure. They've got your records from day one. And then you can charge them for damages, I mean, and, and get actual damages. Okay. But that would require a lawsuit on the bounds of, uh, on the grounds of fraud. And again, it's not. I mean, we just went through the nine elements that it takes to you know to uh, you know to start and, and and prove that action. Now you subpoena the the records for all those years that they stole from you and lied to you, and you know why not? Call, call your trustees into a full accounting because the trust is the same, supposedly. So would this then be, um, you know, sent to the, the agent in his personal capacity or to the, like, I'm thinking county-wise, you know, because there's... Well, again, you, wanna, you, wanna, you always want to send this to the specific agents that are acting in whatever issue you, you're having with the government, because then because they're the ones that are acting, they're the ones that are that are causing those things, those injuries to happen. So yes, you want to pick out every name ever mentioned on any case or any tax paper or anything. They're they're inducing you, you know, by fraud, and you want to pick them out and hold, you know, pierce that corporate veil and hold that man or woman accountable. So basically, if I'm understanding, you're saying you you notify the agency, the agent, and then from there it's a step to getting to them in their personal capacity. Very easy step, yes, on the grounds of fraud. This fraud pierces that corporate veil, that immunity that they all claim. They're all corporating. They're they're all claiming limited liability you know, or total, uh, you know, total, you know, uh, protection from any liability, okay? Judges, for instance, you know, they're, they're, they're claiming, you know, total immunity from anything that they do while they're in that office. Well, that's a fraud, okay? But because of fraud, that veil can be pierced, that position, that office can be torn away, and there they are, the naked man or woman. No different than you or I who committed these torts against you. So, yes, you want to name them individually. You also want to put in the, you know, sometimes acts as, you know, president or whatever, you know, bogus title they claim for themselves. You know, this way the principal is also notified not to do it, not to have any more of their actors do it. That's the point of the stop. Okay. And that, the uh, the letter I got from the uh, assistant state attorney general's office, um, he, you know, in in his signature, he basically 
did the, the signature in his upper and lower case name. And then right below that was his all capital letters name with his title below it. Yeah. He's acting as if. Yeah. It's a man acting as if. Otherwise, they'd be identical, right? He was just being a man or a woman. <laughs> so, yeah, again, uh, fraud. Fraud, 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 fraud. I, I hope I made the case tonight for it. <laughs> I think and, you did. And, and again, when, when you get these people out there that, that are claiming authority over you, they're claiming to be God over you. Nobody has that right. And that's governments everywhere always claim to be God, right? They claim to be the judge and the lawmaker over you and your stuff. And that's a straight-up deceptive lie from, from the beginning. I don't care where you go back to. Babylon? Further? None of us have authority over our neighbor. We weren't supposed to have dominion over our neighbor. Birds of the air, you know crawling, creepy things on the ground, everything that walks on the earth. Yep, all of it. Not each other. And anything that they claim otherwise is a fraud and a lie. Doesn't, doesn't this whole uh, action kind of uh, start pulling like a big Jenga tower? Doesn't they kind of start pulling their own tower apart? And, and yeah. where do you go? Where do you go to a judge to even create this uh, this You you don't have to. You are the judge. I am stopping you. You're a stop. Period. Done. I'm stopping you. I don't need a judge to stop you. I'm a man. I can stop you myself. I got you. you. (laughs) I'm managing my own affairs. I'm not trying to manage. You know what I mean? You're trying to manage your affairs. Well, this is why it collapses, and actually this, this, notice, this, second, this notice of default was sent to the uh, – here, I'm going to go right down the names because this is exactly who it was sent to. And there's no playing around. There's no asking – you know, I'm not asking the clerk, all right? I'm asking Elizabeth Alexandria Mary Windsor, acting as if she was queen. Bob Hamilton, acting as Commissioner of Canada Re- Revenue Agency, uh, you know, uh, is it a Rancy acting as legal counsel for the respondent for Her Majesty the Queen? Eugene Rossiter acting as Chief Justice Tax Court of Canada. Doug Downey acting as Attorney General of Ontario. Uh, Christia Freeland acting as the Finance Minister. And Justin Trudeau acting as the Prime Minister. You know, Maximus Prime. It's all a bunch of crap. They're acting as if they're God over you, and when you question them about it, their whole claim falls apart. Their representations fall apart. And you're right, it is. It's just like a Jenga tower. <laughs> pull out this piece, pull out that piece, and the more people that you stop, and again, you go to the top. Why would you waste time arguing with the clerk? You call the owner, Right? Or the manager, or whoever's there, and you want to talk to the owner of a thing. Because that's who's got to say over that thing. Well, the thing that we're talking about here is you and I and everything we own. And they're claiming that they have control and authority over that. Well, I, I, I would say bullshit. Excuse my language. But I, that's a lie. 
It's a straight-up lie. It's a, it's a misrepresentation of fact. Because the fact is nobody has authority over you or your stuff other than you. Unless you contract them to do it, and that contract is ex- totally disclosed as to the terms. Hope I answered your question, Brian. Yeah, no, you did. I, 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 I have to admit that I wasn't able to listen with both ears tonight, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the, the call again. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so pardon, pardon me if there was a kind of a silly question. No, it's actually a good question <laughs> and, and, and a really good uh example of, of what it does. It literally pulls out all the pieces. Their whole, you know, their whole argument of, well, we have authority over you. you know, I shouldn't even say argument because it's not even an argument because as soon as you question it, they hide. They don't want to mm-hmm. return your calls. They definitely won't want to put anything in writing, and they sure aren't going to come back with any evidence to prove that they've got legitimate authority over you. They don't have a power of attorney signed by you. So where is there a real, where's the truth to their authority, right? Your representatives make up the rules for you, really. That, that not only is that illogical, but that's what happens in, in government, in this fraud, okay? The fact that they don't have power of attorney is a straight fraud to begin with. You didn't give them that right, then nobody could give them that right. I don't care how many people voted for these people. I didn't. I didn't choose them to represent me, nor would I ever. I'll express that till the day that they put me in a box and drop me in the ground or whatever they do. But, no, that was a good question, and it was definitely a good analogy. Thank you. Well, so, so, well, yeah, no problem. No, no, well, so, so, see, my my pressing issue will be a a foreclosure action, you know, at some point in the future. And so, you know, I'm I'm assuming obviously the fraud extends to that. Well, we know we all know it does. They they said that well, they loaned the money. money. Yeah. Is the money yeah, real? They, <laughs> yeah, they claim that they loaned you money and so on and so forth and whatnot. Uh, but you know, the, what, I guess the Jenga towers is is kind of my analogy to show that that, as I understand it, these these judges are also profiting from foreclosures. The the everybody's profiting in the whole system. Every so, single time a case is 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 uh, brought to a court, money is transacted, <laughs> and every. At the end of every court case, money is transacted. Their money, their, I mean, it's money of account, but it's still a transaction, right, by false pretenses. So, yeah, the courts are all making money every time uh, a bank goes to, uh, you know, file suit. You know, every time somebody goes, yeah, I'll plead. <laughs> I'll just pay that fine. You know, it's the same. It's the same. So, you know, again, where, how, how, and how, why, where, when, and how, or, or, or who, what, where, why, and, and when, or however you want to put it, 
did the bank commit the fraud against you in the first place? As it pertains to your foreclosure, make you know, and and if you can actually show those nine elements of how they did that, yep, you've got yourself a fraud case. And 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 you know, those elements are not hard to come by when it comes to a, a mortgage contract, or or you know, any other banking contract for that matter, because the whole. Setup is predicated on the decree of the government in the first place, right? That's what the value of the money comes from, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or the currency that's out there for our use, or lack thereof, depending on where you are. <laughs> no, it's a it's yeah. a it's a fantastic strategy and approach um, because it is it's cutting right to the right to the fundamental. Uh, the fundamentals of of, uh, of all of their claims. Yeah. Again, I mean, if anything that's predicated off of that claim that government and their agents have authority over you, yeah, that's a fraud. <laughs> you know, and anywhere that they've acted in the past from whatever, 1776 or 8 or whatever the hell they, you know, they put together this trust, ever since they've acted, they've acted this way. So anything that's been created out of that is a fraud as well. Fraud is fraud from the beginning, even if some truths are involved. There had to be truths involved in order to get people to believe it in the first place. Or at least they had to be taught to believe that it was true in the first place, and that's definitely the case here. Despite the fact that people act for years and playing their part, you know, to go along with the fraud. That's one of the elements, right? It was so believable mm-hmm. that you acted on it. Mm, sure. Right? That's one of the elements of the fraud to begin with. And, you know, it had to, they had to be reliable. You know, the information that you relied upon had to be, you know, presented to you in a way that, you would be induced to believe it. Well, a gun to your head and threats of going to jail are a pretty good induct, you know, induction. <laughs> you know? I mean, my ex-wife, she, I mean, I, I started learning about this stuff in 89, the same year I got married. And uh, she was scared to death someone was going to come in in the middle of the night from government and, and you know, take us and our kids away. <laughs> And that was a legitimate fear. And it's not something, you know, it's not a boogeyman story. We hear it and see it happen all the time. (laughs) But they get get to pick the spin. They get to put it on the, you know, the TV and program you with this lie our whole lives. Well, they used to tell you that that's how how Soviet Russia worked or that's how Ming, uh, uh, (laughs) now say Tom... China worked, or, or you know, or Cambodia under you know, whatever. Yeah, all of them, all of them. Every government. Go back, Pharaoh, Egypt, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. Go to them all. It doesn't make a difference because ever since the beginning of time, man has tried to play God using an adversarial system that is designed to enslave and rather than love their neighbor. That's <laughs> just how it goes. But it never, ever, ever has been legitimate. 
Never. So all of it's fruit, fruit of the poisonous tree, slippery slope, you know? And, and it's so easy to see it, and it's so easy to put it together. Challenge their authority. Watch. Question it. Don't challenge it. Don't, don't make your claims. Question it. You don't have to make any claims because they're the ones that have been making the claims. Force them to prove it once. Force them to prove it. <laughs> and right. guarantee you, they're going to they're gonna be like, oh, we're going to let this one get away. There's too much danger of them exposing our fraud. And that's when they dismiss your case. They would rather see you get away than expose their own hypocrisy and their own fraud. When I go to court, I love going to court. I want to sit in a trial. I want to expose their fraud. I'll go through that. I'll play their game right to the end, and but I'm going to expose their stuff. I'm going to expose their their fraud, and and the judge is going to be up there instead of wearing a robe. She's not going to have that <laughs> corporate veil. She may as well be sitting there in, in, in her birthday suit. <laughs> he or she, because at that point they're just a man or a woman, no different than any one of us. They don't have authority. It's an illusion of authority. It's a presumption and assumption all the time that's made to induce us to follow the bull. You know, follow what they say. Submit to what they, their, their rules are. It's a lie. And let me tell you, if you question it, they will scatter. Because you're questioning it with questions that have truth and, and light, and cockroaches don't like the light. They run and they hide. They get real nervous in their seats. They hit panic buttons. And they rely basically on the one thing that, that you know, their, their last thing is always violence and threats of violence. Right. You know? Because <laughs> if, it's, if, if it's legitimate, it doesn't need that. If it's legitimate, none of it is required. No violence, no coercion, no manipulation, no threats, none of it is required oh. if it's legitimate. Only if, if it's, it's legitimate, if, if it's legitimate, it's what's called uh, self-evident. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So if I hit your mailbox and you saw me and you could identify me and I took off and wasn't responsible for my own actions, you can make a claim. You've got a right to make a claim against me if I did it. But the, bar- the burden is still on you to prove it. And that's, you know, again... You know, the, the burden of proof lies with the one making the claim. We're not making any claims that they have authority. They do all the time. It's the main assumption, main presumption to every single thing that they've ever done, all of it. So government and all of it is a fraud, has been since the beginning. <laughs> and all it takes is to expose that fraud, and they run away. They run away. They're afraid. We're afraid because we go in there, you know, under the pretense that, that, oh, these guys can do this to us and do that to us, and we should be afraid. And, but, you know, I mean, again, fear, false evidence of proving real. That's what all the indoctrination and, and programming and, and uh, 
you know, propaganda crap that they put on every single where you look is meant to do, is to make you afraid of this ugly monster that's there to help you. You know? <laughs> it's a contradiction in lies they have. Good perspective. Very good. Thank you. Do we have any other questions? We have plenty of time. Let's get this to be uh let's go the full three hours here. I wanna I, I, I wanna hear what you guys have to say. I know we got a lot of people on the phone, so don't be scared. <laughs> Come on, people. Yeah. No, I like to, even if you you know even if you want to share your opinion, I'm not going to judge you or attack you on your opinion. Um, you know, again, what you're listening to is my opinion. Okay, do the research yourself. Mine is based on the research that I've done. Uh, don't believe what I say. Go and look for yourself. Please don't believe what I say. I may be wrong, and then come back and prove me wrong. I'm happy to you know. Hey, if I'm proved wrong, that means I've learned the truth. That's a good thing. Anybody have any questions? It doesn't even have to be on tonight's, you know, topic. Any any issues you're having with courts or the government in any way you need help with, please. I have a question. Sure, who's this? This is Debbie from Minnesota. Hello. Hi. So <laughs> I have a hearing in ten days, and okay. I, I pre. I previously was going to file like a, um, a motion to dismiss uh, based upon a lack of evidence of jurisdiction. And then it kind of changed my mind and I, I was going to file the um, judicial notice and the memorandum instead. And then um, I do have a sense in it, you know, that it's not like I'm just going to be able to walk in there and slap down these cards and they're just going to go, okay, you know, I know I'm going to, um, my next hearing is to cross-examine the, the police officer. And I just think that most, most of the questions that I have aren't really for the police officer at all. They're kind of, I mean, they're for the judge or for the prosecutor. I mean, who's, who's got that? Oh, why, 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 is the, why is the officer a witness in the first place? Well, because the, um, pretty much their, their whole entire case is just what he says. <laughs> it's based on what he says. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and uh, okay. So he's the witness, and, and uh, you don't have to get too specific. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, all, everything, if everything they do is a fraud, okay, mm-hmm. and you are the only one that has authority over you, your children, your stuff, okay, your husband mm-hmm. as well would have the same, mm-hmm. and if you're not together, that, but that mm-hmm. does not negate both of your right to those children, okay? And, again, I don't know your whole situation, and I'm not going right. to, you know, go uh-huh. into specifics, but right. if they don't have any authority to hear the case in the first place, no subject matter jurisdiction in the first place, mm-hmm. and that's what you're questioning, then the whole thing has to be thrown out and your property returned for uh-huh. you you know, would be able to stop them from doing this any further. Yeah. Yeah, I just do that by providing them the notice. And uh then, you know, again, you're providing notice. You're not moving the court to do anything. 
you're notifying the court that they have no right to act, no subject matter jurisdiction over you or your property, period. Okay? And you're going to ask them the questions, which is what that judicial notice does. You're going to ask them, what makes you God over me and my stuff? Okay? Now, if they go, oh, well, you entered it into the public trust. Well, did you do that under your free will, knowing that they had no, no authority in the first place? Or was right. that just because you did it because you believed that they had the authority to do this to you, mistakenly? Mm. You know? And, again, it's mm. a question of whether or not they do have authority. And they don't. And they won't prove it because they can't prove it. Even with the contract, because if they pulled out a legitimate contract, it would say all the terms. That, oh, you have to follow their authority and what they say goes, and that would be absolutely insane or ridiculous. And that is where they turn around and they, uh, you know, this is, again, why estoppel is a good remedy for this, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says here, okay, they knew that it was likely to be after the palm, okay? And that you would believe the representation and act to your own detriment, relying on that misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. And that is the representation that they have the authority over you and your children and your stuff in the first place. So right. if it's broad, it's broad from the beginning, okay? Which means anything and everything that they have done within this action, they need to make you whole. They've caused injury. Mm-hmm. And again, in your notice, in your notice, you know, and again, I would say I would make up a notice, add the, you know, judicial notice with it, as well as the memorandum, okay, mm-hmm. that makes those that makes those claims and, and, and begs, begs for them to provide you with evidence of their authority, okay, mm-hmm. and they will not respond, they will not respond to it. They may say, oh, well, we'll talk about that in the next hearing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And the next yeah, hearing is going to be off the record and nobody's going to ever hear it. You just give them yeah. the notice, the notice they have to accept, okay? They can rebut it, okay? They can, they can rebut each and every fact that you assert, but they won't. They won't, Yeah. okay? But I would also send notice uh, of intent to sue for fraud, and to, pro- and to possibly bring charges of, of common law fraud against them, criminal and civil, okay, should they not remedy this situation immediately and return you to your former state prior to them, you know, uh, meddling into your affairs? Yeah. I'm just like, okay, so then when... When my hearing starts, the, I think the prosecution goes first, and he's going to cross-examine this cop or whatever. Then, act, and then I just should just say, um, how do I address like address that I want to talk about? Well, again, I would I would use I would use the document itself and, and submit it to the court along with the notice. Right. And you have my, you have my number. Feel free to, sure. to reach out to me during this week, sure. and yeah. we'll, I'll help you put together a notice. <laughs> you know, specific to your situation and uh, along with the judicial notice and, and you just go put it in the court case and present it to the prosecutor. Cool. Thank you. Yep. Say, no problem. David, um, you know, I'm, I'm in Minnesota and I'm fairly familiar with, you know, the courts 
here and everything. So, I mean, if there's anything I can do as far as, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm no one to uh, tell you what to do by any means, but right. I'm familiar with a lot of right. stuff. So, have yeah, David no, that you, would be absolutely awesome work. because lately I've been getting real busy. <laughs> I appreciate so, that, Ken. So, give her my info if she wants it. Yeah, I already sure. emailed you once. It was a while. It was a while ago, Chad. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll hit you back up. Awesome, thank you. Okay. Yep. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Did you have any? Did you have anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. Right on. Well, thanks for your input. Thanks for sharing your situation, a little. <laughs> and it David. definitely fits. Yes. David, this is Ed Signer. What kind of case was that Debbie had? Was it a a uh, traffic infraction or something to do with her children? So, uh, uh, go ahead, Devaney. You could tell them. It's traffic, but I'm being tried, tried in criminal court. Okay. Okay, I'll tell you what to do. If you get a chance, uh, this is what I would do. I'd make a copy of the citation that he handed you. I'd hand it to him and ask him if he fa- filed a valid cause of action against you. Yeah. And he's going to say yes. And then you ask him, how many elements are in a valid cause of action? Uh-huh. And he yeah. won't know the answer. And he just lied on the stand. Is the, compl- is the complaint the same thing? Because they never gave me a citation. A, a complaint the is complaint a cause is of action. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Valid cause of action. And, and, and what Ed is getting at is that it's, right. And Ed is getting at the jurisdictional element. Yeah. Cause, cause for... Um, uh, cause for something that the witness isn't, um, gosh, cause for evidence that the witness isn't able to, um, <laughs> I can't think of what it's called, but did, I know, did I know, you I know file, did, did you file a valid cause of action against me? Ask him no, that after you hand him a copy of the ticket or tickets. If he says Copies. yes, and he will, then you say, okay, officer, how many elements are in a valid cause of action? Mm-hmm. And he won't know the answer. And when he does, you just motion the judge to dismiss the case because the officer just committed perjury on the stand. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Valid cause of action. I, I have seen that before on a, um, a Mark Stevens video. Mm. Yeah. Well, it works. Yeah. It does work. It does work. They don't know. They're just out there collecting revenue. So don't be a, don't be afraid of them. It, it's not actually Debbie. It's not actually a criminal matter. It's a commercial code crime, is what it is. I guarantee you, Minnesota has codes, and you've got some kind of code on your ticket. And they try to enforce those codes, which they want to make you believe is law, but they're not. They're codes. Right. All statutes and, and bills, codes. Acts of Congress, it's all fiction of law. It's all man's law. It's all added to or taken away from God's law. And, again, they're willing to commit perjury, right? Again, and what Ed said is, again, they won't know that if you ask them to name the elements, right, if they say, oh, yeah, and they get it right, first off, you know what the, you need to know what the, the uh, the elements of the complaint of the cause are okay. It'd be smart for you to know that going into it if you're going to use that, okay. 
And again, they, if they get it, if they blurt out a number and they're correct, you're going to want to ask them to name them. And out of that, out of the ele- one of the elements of every single crime or a fract, you know, infraction or violation, the element of jurisdiction can and should be questioned. And that's where he's going, uh, or that's where I would take it if they if they. Uh, if they get their answer correct, and if you want to go in that direction. Um, but again, it always comes back down to a jurisdictional question. If, if she's afraid to ask him that question, she could start at the beginning, and this is what I do, and this works 100% of the time. Ask the judge before the trial gets started. Tell him you've got a question. And he or she will say, uh, go ahead, and you say, has this prosecutor put into the record any evidence that he has jurisdiction over me, yes or no. And don't let them, don't let them tell you that they got jurisdiction because it happened in their parish or their township. Whatever the judge says to you, I call it gaslighting. You can call it whatever you want. But you always bring them back and say, while I appreciate your literary-like legal opinion, Your Honor, that's not the question I asked you. What I asked you was, has this prosecutor put into the record any evidence that he has jurisdiction over me, yes or no? And the the secret here, Debbie, is that they never have it, just like David was saying for the first hour of this phone call. And they, if, even if they thought they had it, they never put it on the record, not for a traffic ticket. Not so, for most anything. <laughs> yeah, any, anything. I've never seen uh, jurisdiction uh, proven on the record. And the, nope. the trick is, Debbie, once you challenge jurisdiction, it has to be proven on the record. That's that's constitutional law. Yeah, that's their rules. That is their rules. Yakus uh, versus it? U.S. Uh, Y-A-K-U-S versus U.S. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've That'll get that rid point. of them in a hurry, Debbie. Just don't let them uh, try to move forward or do anything else until that question mm-hmm. has been answered. And if the, if the yeah. judge says, yes, we do have jurisdiction, say, I want a copy of it in my hands before I continue forward. Yeah. I, I, I have been trying somewhat, you know, to do this already, but um, I get so nervous when I go to court, and um, now my hearings are on Zoom, and so that's really been helping me. So I, I hope this one is going to go well. But um, I think I've had like three arraignments and three pretrials or something like that already, and they, they just um, they just give me another court date really quick if I start pressing them, you know. And uh, that's, a, that's why the notice is a very important thing because at that point it's on the record. You will. They will just say, you know, uh, we're, we're not, we're choosing not to move forward in this action against this woman. They're gonna, t- they're gonna say it because they know, they know. It's not like, you know, again, a cop will get angry because he's ignorant. Okay, on the side of the road, if you challenge or question their authority. Okay, but the judge knows damn well, 100%, that they don't have anything, and so does the prosecutor. So if you put Just it in there and you add it to the, to the file, to the court case file, mm-hmm. they're going to probably just say, we're not going to move forward. We're done. Dismissed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's like every single time they give me a different prosecutor, a different judge, and it's uh, it's almost <laughs> like they don't even read any any of it before the case. Like they are they have no idea what I'm even talking about when I go there. Well, if they're giving you new judges and and prosecutors, it's because those other ones prior are recusing themselves. Okay, if you're not doing it, because you've informed them that they're frauds. So they can, you know, so the next one can claim plausible deniability to whatever you gave to the other one. This is why you need to put it into the case file and get it on the record. Whether you say it straight up to their face in court or you do it through your uh, notice to the court and to the case. And, and they're supposed to have read that before the, the hearing starts, correct? I mean, should they, they not have familiarized You should know it backwards and forwards. You should know why they have no jurisdiction and who you are and who you're not. Yeah. This is how you're able to go in there with confidence instead of being afraid. And, again, take advantage of the fact that you're not standing in a room with these, you know, thieves and, and, and you know, deceptive people. But, again, if you put it on a record, you could put that thing in front of you. And then if they say, oh, well, we never received it, you could say, oh, well, guess what? <laughs> I've got it right here. I'll read it, to the, I'll read it into the record for you. Well, see, you know, in, if I was in court appearing, they wouldn't allow me to speak to anybody. You know, if I brought somebody with me, well, now I could have whoever I want sitting right next to me, and I don't see how they could stop me from talking to them. Well, they can't stop you if the person who goes into court with you knows what they're doing anyway. Yeah. Just start, anyway, just start before <laughs> they do, Debbie. Just start before they do. Say, uh, before we get, begin with these proceedings, I have some questions, Your Honor. Yeah. Yep. It's perfect, yeah. and, it's, and it's peaceful, and, and, it, and it's true. You've got lots of questions for them. Uh-huh. Just remember and this, Debbie. Uh-huh. Since they're calling it criminal, jurisdiction is an essential element of any crime, which means yeah. if they don't have it and they can't show it, then it doesn't matter if they can prove it or not. It doesn't exist. Yep. The crime never happened. Case dismissed. Case dismissed. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, when you're questioning... Call a, I think it's comical they call uh, traffic violations crimes. I just think that's comical. Yeah. But, you know, everything's a commercial crime today. <clears throat> Everything is. Well, but it's also in the representation that they make is the fraud. <laughs> uh, even in their own rules, it's the fraud that they're committing. Just saying that a criminal infraction is a crime and you could do time because of it is a lie. Why? And, and Debbie... Debbie, if, yeah. if uh, the judge says that they don't uh, have jurisdiction proven on the record, then just look at them and say, well, what am I doing here? Yep, mm. absolutely. Case dismissed, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget I the motion that. for the dismissal, <laughs> Debbie. Don't, that's a crucial part. Most people forget it. Don't forget to yeah. say, I'm motion to dismiss if you don't have jurisdiction proven on the record. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if you ask me, and, I think and, that's and that's they could produce it right then and there. You're not willing to give any leave of court for them to fabricate anything either. Why would they come yeah. to court unprepared? I, I think the only crime that was committed is that they sent this officer with a gun to run. He, he ran me off the road almost and then pulled me over for swerving. <laughs> that's like, uh, no. oh, that's, it was scary. <laughs> because it's a, they're road pirates. 
that's what I they do. Even, yeah, I didn't even they, any. You know, I was driving along just fine until he came out of nowhere and drove into my lane at me. It's scary. Well, yeah. government is the one company in the world that can get its clients and and, and customers to gunpoint. So they say. Because for the rest of us, it's illegitimate. Yeah. And that's all they are to you, or you are to them, is, is, is a client, a customer that's going to be paying for their services, <laughs> whether you wanted them or not. And again, it's fraud. It's fraud. Thank you, Devaney, for, for, <laughs> for participating. And Ed, thank you for, uh, for, her, for your uh, input as well. Oh, that's Happy super to helpful. Help. Thank you guys. I um I'm getting I'm getting nervous, but uh, I'm, it's nice that being at home makes a big difference. What are you I'm afraid gonna, of? I'm gonna record it, record it, and put it what on you, YouTube. What are you afraid uh, of? I don't know. I just get I don't know. I just get intimidated. You know, like you get taught when you're a little girl to just be a good girl and go along. You know, and don't be a bad girl. And it just I don't know. I mean, but you're a woman. Just, you're a grown woman. You're not a little girl. I know. I know. I'm not. But um. It's just they teach you that from when you're young. So like when you, sure you I know, when I walk in there, it just makes me feel like I don't know. I don't want to. I, like to I call it. Again. I call it brainwashing, Debbie. I call yeah. it, brainwashing. <laughs> it is indoctrination programming. Our whole lives. But that's that's one of the what's one of the elements of the fraud, okay? Mm-hmm. That they induced us to believe this and they represented it to be true our whole lives. Our whole lives, every one of us. <laughs> and it's always been a lie. Always has. So, again, you know, you ever, you ever hear that, uh, you know, it's, it's a little trick that public speakers use to, to get over the nervousness is to picture your audience naked. Okay? <laughs> yeah. and, and the reason for Gross. that is because at that point, you and them are identical. They're not hiding behind some field of office or some bogus title. Yeah. So maybe think of them that way. It's trauma-based mind control. Yeah, it is. It's PTSD from birth. <laughs> it, it, it was that scary. Let me tell you, when he drove past the jail, and I'm just like, I didn't know, where are we going? And then he pulls up to the hospital. I'm like, what are we doing? He wouldn't tell me what was going on until we were walking through the doors. I mean, for all I knew, he was going to take my liver or something. It was weird. Right, but you know what? That is to you a, a, a reasonable and legitimate fear. They tell you they're taking you to jail and they take you somewhere else. I was told by a supervisor at the jail here locally that my, I asked him, where does the state troop, where do the state police take their prisoners? And I was told exactly these words, sometimes to the hospital, sometimes to the morgue, and sometimes they just leave them in a ditch. Wow. That's what somebody with claimed authority told me regarding my son. Well, I went right to the jail, and I told them that I was going to drag him through the little, you know, slot where you slide the money, and, you know, if he would like to come out here and assert that to my face. <laughs> you know, you don't tell somebody that their child could be dead on the side of the road because some cops, uh, you know, that's their actual M.O., that that's what they do on a regular basis. What parent wants to hear something like that? Yeah, that's scary. <clears throat> yeah. Well, to me, you know, 
to me at that time or at any time. If, you, if you're going to threaten me or my kids, you know, heck, you can threaten me all day, but if you threaten my kids, it's over, instant. I mean, there's going to be retribution immediately. And it was, you know, uh, when I called and, and talked to the, uh, the officer, you know, supervisor on duty, and I told them this, they let my son go. They wanted nothing to do with me. <laughs> Literally, Hello? they didn't even process him. Because I would have turned around and I would have subpoenaed every recording. I would have re- re- subpoenaed the recording of that call because the jail records every call going in and out. <laughs> they are good at keeping records. So when you do call them into account, every little why every little thing comes up in those documents, in that documentation, including what they extorted from you beginning to end. So don't be afraid of them. They're, 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 they're so cowardly, and that's why they have to have the, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, the loudspeakers and the flashing lights and all of the, the production, okay, in order to get you to believe that they're something other than you, just like you, no different at all. The only difference is they lie, and you're just looking for the truth. And when you call them on it, they will they will turn around, and they will let you go. They'll be the fish that got away, and they'll tell their fish stories, and, uh, you know, you can go on with your life. But thanks for thank you guys for your input. Um, we still got plenty of time, guys. So, uh, any other questions, comments? Yes. Hello. I Hello. Have a Hello. Yeah, this is this? Arlen. My name hey, is Arlen. Arlen. Uh, very nice to meet you, and appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, thank you. I'm currently dealing with uh, a very huge timber theft and uh, destruction of property case. It has drug on for seven years. I still have not gotten a day in court. Uh, It's a situation based upon a trust. Uh, Years, uh, 35 years ago, um, when my father and mother got divorced, a piece of property, actually two pieces of property, were put into a trust. there was a seven. And you were the beneficiary. Well, myself and uh, two other siblings are yes. Okay. This piece of property was covered border to border with uh, old growth hardwood timber. That, from the point I was 24 years old, my father said, "One day this will all be yours," and I had made plans to utilize that timber. Uh, to basically support the remainder of my life, to pursue goals, to harvest a percentage of that, to fund other businesses, to sell timber to uh, furniture makers, to make furniture myself. Uh, And upon my father's death, his second wife, who was never like my stepmother or my mother, it was just his second wife, um, basically went in there knowing that she had no authority, uh, 
and was in collusion with a, a logger, and they basically clear-cut the whole piece of property and stole um, 84,000 board feet of fine hardwood timber. Okay. Um, I have been fighting trying to get this into the courts for seven years. Uh, I and have everything. Bring, they have you brought, Sorry? You brought a claim? You brought a claim against the logger and her? And what, what yes. happened? Numerous times, I went through a number of attorneys, some of which dropped out for various reasons. Some I had to fire because of, due to their incompetence, never returning my calls, emails, or meeting with me as I had requested. They were trying to bring about a, uh, a motion for a default judgment because the people would never respond accordingly they wouldn't fill out the discovery papers right from the very beginning. The logger never, ever responded still to this very day. And he, he's still not been um, presented with a default judgment. And to my understanding, if he had, didn't respond within 30 days, he's automatically in default. Well, that, that 30 days was seven years ago. Well, let me, let me see here for a second. Daniel, are you on the line? Yes, I am. All right. Can can you explain to him about declaratory, or uh, excuse me, uh, yes, ex parte declaratory judgment? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I have had a conversation with, uh, with Arlen today, um, Dave, and um, I asked him to call in because at the mouth of two, three witnesses, every word can be established. And, yes, he does have a good case for declaratory judgment, an excellent case. My, uh, I tell you, I tell you what I told him, and we can build it from there because uh, this is what this is what occurred to me. You know, lawyers do not like facts and evidence on the record. They like to argue, they like motion, they like to keep the case going. So my question was, pursuant to rules of evidence, is there any evidence on the record, and evidence by the by an unrebutted affidavit, and evidence uh, by sworn testimony evidence that can be utilized by a common law or any kind of uh, jury of his peers, not just hearsay evidence. So that was the first thing that I, went, I, I had recommended, is to get a claim by, uh, to the parties that have injured him in the form of a sworn affidavit with proof of service upon the ones who created the injury and to let the time toll to actually get that evidence into a default. That's the first suggestion I made. I know this has been going on for seven years, but I haven't seen anything. But if you put a complaint in there, which is a whining, a complaint in front of the court, and you're just basically allowing the lawyers and the judges to make it a case for their feeding trough, it really, you know, you, you sort of like you don't know what you, it's a crapshoot to know what you're going to get at the other end of that case. And uh, in, in, in the middle of it, you don't know if the, if the, the judge or the, um, uh, the court clerk or anybody in the middle, if it's a good old boys club, has been bribed by somebody in the, in the mix. You just don't know what you're yeah. getting. You, we're, we're saying we don't have any confidence in the administration. So my suggestion to Arlen was to take the matter into his own hands and create a, um, a piece of evidence. In other words, get something that proves that, you know, by a third-party process server that he got – uh, this, the, the party that created the damage has gotten notice of the damage and an opportunity to correct the damage, which is, the, which is um, to, to make the wrong right, uh, which is you know, reasonable. 
and then um, an opportunity to cure by second notice and an evidence of default. And my suggestion is there's a number of different ways you can go from there. Uh, one, and this is above my pay grade and I don't know this, is how to move somebody into involuntary bankruptcy because if he's a judgment debtor with provable evidence of being a judgment debtor, I've heard it that you can liquidate a judgment debtor and move them into an involuntary bankruptcy. This is not my area of expertise. I thought maybe you might know or one of your listeners might know because I've never done it, and I don't like to suggest things I've never done. The other thing I could suggest to him is once you got the, um, once you got the, the lien of record, you let him know that it's going to be a lien of record. You do a non-UCC filing of the lien on the record, but not a non-consensual one, one that they had ever, uh, knowledge uh, ahead of time by notice that he was, this was going to turn out to be a lien upon them. And then, of course, if the uh, judgment debtor then goes to sell something, it's on the record in the book of liens at the county, and then whatever the proceeds for whatever sale that might happen in the future would go directly to the um, judgment creditor, in this case would be Ireland. Those are the, that's where I left it, and then I suggested he come on the call, and we'd spin this around and have a good old time with it. I yield. Sure. Yeah, Arlen, and, and again, uh, that, that is exactly what I would look to do in this case because you've got parties that are, aren't answering you, You've got lawyers that are extorting you and, and moving you along and, you know, getting every bill that they can get to you and not producing any results or, or remedy for you. This is a way that you can get your remedy and, and uh, you know, whether they show up or don't or whether a judge, you know, declares it so or not. You know, this uh -huh. is... Uh, this is a way to, okay. do, to do that. What are you doing? Does that, does that make sense? And all, and I'm happy to, yeah. you know, it's up yeah. to Daniel, but I mean, we could do a conference call and see if we come up uh, with, a, with a game plan for you, maybe? Um, well, it's pretty convoluted. It gets involved. I mean, um, well, I would hope so, because, uh, well, I don't want to waste my time if you don't have evidence and witnesses and oh, things like that. I have everything, everything. I expected I mean, you did after seven years. So, no, I expected I, it wasn't I, as simple as you can explain in three minutes. I, I, no, I expected I've been on this, a lot more substance. Yeah, from the very beginning, I was on this tenaciously, gathering every bit of data, detail, evidence, witnesses, their own testimonies of guilt, their own testimonies that they did it, that they admitted on an affidavit to the state investigator for the Forestry Commission, all right? Mm -hmm. They've admitted it. They admitted it to my brother when he confronted him when we found out about it. Um, he mm -hmm. went and, and faced them face-to-face, -face, and they said, yeah, we did it. And that's <laughs> as evidence in a report in the files. Correct. Well... Um, can Sounds I to ask? me you've got, a, you've got a good claim here for an ex parte, you know, declaratory judgment. I think it's a, uh, this would be ideal for something like that. Yeah, and Dave, if I might jump in here, that is one of the things I had suggested when I spoke to Arlen, but I knew there was a couple of, there's a couple of twists in the road, like I said, and, and which one is the fastest way to get to the results, an ex parte declaratory judgment should, in fact, be a very simple process if, if, if he can move it from the area. If he's fearing that there's a good old boy club there, you obviously are going to have a difficult time bringing it right in that same jurisdiction where you're not getting judges to move. So 
I suggested that if he's got a um, motion for summary judgment on the record, which is what he said he does, I don't know if he made that clear. Um, that was the I might have missed no, it. No, I didn't. Oh. It is on the yeah, record. There is a motion for summary judgment on the record, and the judge has gone silent for how long again, Arlen? Well, he it was requested on the 19th of October, okay? This year or last year? This year. Well, that's not, okay. yeah, that's. There might be a. They might have a. They might have a, the next hearing set up. And the thing, the fact that your attorney hasn't given you any notice, which I, you also didn't say, is something also needs to be remedied. They pro, they may have a hearing set up for that motion where the opposing party has an opportunity to um, challenge it or motion to strike or or some kind of rebuttal to the um, the motion for a summary judgment, which is typical. So you'd want to see the docket. You'd want to get a copy of the docket. If your attorney's not giving you a copy of the docket, you can get it right from the clerk who also works directly for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was and again, that representative, if you've got an attorney and they're not doing what they're supposed to be, they're acting negligently, you know, or for profit at your expense. They're supposed to do what you tell them as your representative, um, which is why I don't trust them, don't like them, and, and think they're worthless, you know, in most cases. Um, the only lawyer, and it's funny because most lawyers don't respect ambulance chasers. Yeah, they're the only ones that I may have a, a semblance of respect for. Every other one is, is you know, worthless. Worthless. Could, could I ask if um, I, I thought I heard you say you sent the uh, the logger or whoever it was that company um, a letter that was never responded to? Uh, did did you do that like in an affidavit form? Filed the lawyer sent it to him. It was a, a, a notice. A notice through the courts. All right, numerous times. More than once, two or three times. All right. Um, no response whatsoever. Zero. So that's a summary judgment right there. Right there, which, like I said, should have happened within the first 30 days, seven years ago, to my understanding. Within 30 days, if they do not respond, they're automatically in default. Yep. So right you would wrong. you would get a default? Yeah, you get a default summary judgment based on whatever you present. Um, and the interest should start to start to climb at that point. Well, but it never happened, and I was relying on these lawyers to do so, and I kept saying, well, he's already in default. Why haven't you filed for a, a, a motion for default? They never did. They never would. And uh, This is Martha. Uh, hello. hello. Hey, Martha. Hi. I just wanted to interject because I just I'm coming in late on this and um, you know you're talking about um, going to these attorneys and expecting them to actually operate on your behalf when that's not what they do they they don't they don't fight for you they don't represent you you can file that paperwork yourself. Everything that you're having him do, you can do yourself. 
and you actually have more power doing it. I actually sued an attorney here in California. Um, I took him to the state bar, and I presented the judge with about two inches, a stack of two inches of documentation showing that I had contacted the attorney numerous times, showed them my phone records, showed them um, my emails, my requests for him to respond to me, uh, pursuing without people from me. And I, I ended up winning, and the attorney had to give me $1,500 back. For so, being there on um, Right. And, and people don't know that, you know, these, I know, I'm, you guys are pretty sad. Um, they're not, if, when you represent yourself, you're telling them that you can manage your own affairs. You don't need them. Um, putting, putting your situation into an attorney's hands, you're going to be looking at it taking seven years. That's why... Sometimes longer. Well, that's, that's a good point, yes. Uh, that was one of my reasons in calling is this, is it was postponed once about two and a half years ago, and I waited, and then when we were ready to come to court, I hadn't talked to this lawyer in months. He would not re- respond to me. Then he responds to me and tells me, oh, I'll meet you the morning of the trial. I said, no, no, you won't. We're done. I fired him. Well, I got another attorney... All right. And so instead of just a month or two where it would have taken, because I have it all prepared myself, it took, they gave eight months out, nine months out, so this new attorney could prepare himself and be fully prepared. Well, right. here we he are. Continues. Yes. All so right. that he could Another charge one. by the hour. <laughs> now, here we are. They put it out a year or, or 11 months, and the court date was supposed to be on November 9th. Well, when he met with uh, the judge for the hearing for the default judgment, the judge said, oh, you know, we're so backlogged up here with uh, criminal cases, and they take uh, precedence over uh, civil cases, and with the COVID thing, we're going to have to postpone it again. So now here, you know, another year. And then I just came to this realization, they could do that forever. Yeah. Hey, hey, uh, hold on one second. Hey, Daniel? Yes, I'm here. By by doing the declaratory judgment in this case, uh, it may be may be uh, you know and 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 presenting it to this judge in a way that uh, it lightens his burden and he could move on past this you know this thing because you're basically you're doing all the work for him. Right, and right. it's got to go. To, it's supposed to go to the top of the docket too. If you read the rules for declaratory judgment, this is this Arkansas, um, Arlen. Yeah. Yeah, you said it was. That's right. So it goes to the top of the docket. They've adopted the Declaratory Judgment Act in all of the states, and uh, it's, it's it's a it's a fast remedy. But he also, I mean, as far as starting a new action and all that, that's very, that's that's what the declaratory judgment. You could file it right in that case. You don't have to start a whole new no, new process. You can you and can go right up on that case. A, yeah, it'd be, it would be in the judge's best interest to sign off on it. Right. The other you know, thing after that again, you have to then then you have to collect regardless, and you know it may be uh, worth taking a look at. Uh, you know, being able to. Uh, 
you know, liquidate assets or, or be it, what was it, uh, bankruptcy, forced bankruptcy. And, yeah. Okay. In all fairness, Dave, um, I, well, there was something I missed today when I spoke to Arlen that I just caught in this phone conversation. I just want to repeat it. Basically, what I just heard is that it's only been 11 days since the motion for a summary judgment in front of this no, judge. No, I was wrong. I made a mistake. That was September oh, okay. 19th. Oh, I'm September sorry. 19th. Yeah. Well, it's been well that, yeah. that, is, that is a little bit unusual on, and unless because of the situation he hasn't had a motion date. What I would be doing the first thing tomorrow morning, this is not legal advice. Nobody here is pretending to be a liar. Right. But I would, I if it was me... If it was me, I'd be calling the clerk and asking for when this matter is put in front of the judge, when the next motion date is, when this matter is going to be presented to the judge. I would be asking that question. Yes, yeah. Right. And that gives you some time to put together a declaratory judgment and put it into the case. And that, you again, might be able to add that right to the record. Yep, exactly. Good. Good input, though, and I'm glad you brought your, your situation on, onto the call. Thank you for doing so. Um, yes. Again, you know, people are getting taken advantage of over, you know, and, and in, your, in, in your case, it's not even the government that, that, that stuck it to you. You know, you have a legitimate oh, claim wait. against uh, somebody who injured you. Right. Well, that, that's only part of it. See, from the very beginning, I was in contact with the prosecuting attorney because I understood him to be my representative in this situation, because I was going to pursue Surely there was a criminal charge? I was trying to initially bring about a criminal charge, all right? I had all the evidence, and when I presented it to the prosecuting attorney, myself, uh, he was all gung-ho, and he told me that he was, uh, there's something that a lot of people don't know about him, is that a lot of prosecutors don't pursue these kind of cases, but he does, he has, and he's very good at it. All right. And he said, let me tell you something about myself. That's how I put myself through law school as a forester in this area. Okay. Oh, boy. So he was all gung-ho, right? And then all buddy. when the forestry investigator for the state of Arkansas confronted these people and wanted their statements, they presented to him a contract. All right. He presented that to the prosecuting attorney. And then at that point, the prosecuting attorney, when I called him next, was like somebody flipped the light switch. Suddenly, he's stating to me that they had a contract. It was their property. No crime has been committed. She was well within her rights to do what they did, and that that's a civil matter between me and my family. Ah, and wrong. Time, I was pretty much in shock. Let me finish. Let me finish. It gets a little involved. That was between me and my family, and no crime had been committed, and he was not worried. Uh, it was not worthy, nor was he interested in pursuing it. Well, at the time, I was in a bit of shock dealing with all this stuff, and time went by, and the statute of limitations had run out on the criminal charges, which is three years. But at the time when I contacted him, I still had like a year left. And uh, it turns out one day I said, I want to look at this contract because by law – they had no authorization to have a contract. Even if they did have a contract, it wouldn't have been valid. They had no authority. So if I was to sell the, the land behind your house that you owned, and I made a contract 
to do so, and the new owner believed that that contract was legitimate, it still was done through fraud, okay, because I intended well, to profit from somebody else's property that I had no right to profit from, okay? Now, if, if uh, you're, you know, your father's uh, wife was the one that created this contract, I would be looking as an, my investigator might, would be going nuts, going, okay, uh, I want to know what kind of relationship she had with the person she signed this contract with, for one, okay? That was the lawyer. You know, Right now, I'd also want to. I'd also want to know the the prosecutor's relationship to the company and the people that work there, being that he has a background in forestry, and that's how he made it through to pay through college. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and being that they're in the same area, they may have some sort of relation which creates a conflict of interest in the first place. So there's a lot of ways that I would have been looking at this. You know, when, when I already you know, have, I've already got all that all in my head. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you know, your well, mind races when they tell you, yeah, you know what, suck it up, you know, buttercup, and you know that's not the way. That's not the way this is supposed to work. Well, the whole yeah. thing was a was a orchestrated fraud. Okay, more than just it an accident, be. they presented the contract that they had with the very logger that cut my land for their land three miles down the road. And they knowingly presented this to the prosecuting attorney. And if you look at the um, legal description, the, the county numbers and the plat numbers, it describes their property that that's the contract they had with the logger to cut her land three miles down the road. And the prosecuting attorney didn't even read the details. He just looked at it and said, oh, they had a valid contract. Well, first of all, it wasn't valid, and it wasn't even for my piece of property. So they attempted to defraud a public official by entering that knowingly into evidence. Or, or the public official is uh, buddies with the uh, logging company, and, and, you know, and that happens well, all the time especially in well, see, small areas like where I'm at, you know. Yeah. I'm in Montana. Well, this is, this is a, all logging property, you know. Right. Yeah. Yes, I do know. So, and, Dave, uh, I want to add something here, Arlen and Dave, that, that there's in the past few minutes since uh, you started talking about the statute of limitations and you used the word fraud. I want you to comprehend that fraud is uh, not – there's no statute of limitations that justifies and, and, and uh, glorifies fraud where the fraud, oh, we've, well, the three years is gone, we're, we've, we've done it. We've defrauded them because they haven't got us in three years. That's a misnomer that somebody may have led you to believe. That's not true. Uh, first yep. of all, under, under, under the law of, co- of the commons of men, we are, there is no statute of limitations for, for fraud and for theft. We don't accept <laughs> That's yep. my understanding. That's what I read. But, That's what I understood. But, yeah, but what you, what you have right there is a valid case for a, a, a crafted criminal complaint by affidavit naming all the actors and implica- implicating, including not, not only, uh, uh, I would include the prosecuting attorney in there, at least by suspicion. Sure. Because not well, only did he, he, either he knew, or, uh, he, he knew or should have known 
that because a situation was presented to him, and it's his duty to – that's what his duty was to do in, in the public. Now, you're not only dealing with persons as in entities, you're also dealing with people as in the men that did this. So this, is, this, is, this theft and this, um, and this fraud is not something to get away with because three years passed. I just wanted to assure you of that. So another suggestion would be a carefully crafted criminal complaint and then it would be served also upon the sheriff of that county that sticks as a, um, as a figurehead to make sure that the law is um, uh, distributed in that county, allegedly, purportedly. We don't know who this guy is, but we'd hope right. that in that case. Right. But a carefully crafted criminal complaint and with by affidavit appears to be something that also needs to be done in that matter. Suggestion number two. Yeah, and, and the complaint has to be fraud because, again, that, that's what we're talking about. And two, uh, in your case, you, you may be able to make, and I'm sure you can make, uh, conspiracy to commit fraud. Right. So, and those are both crim, uh, criminal complaints, okay, that you can serve on all of the actors involved without statute of limitations. And they can be part of the... They could become part of the declaratory judgment. If you got them in, if you're going to do a declaratory judgment, you can have a judge declare that they're valid. You can make him uh, put in, put his, uh, you know, put put his neck on the line. Say, do I have a valid cause of action? Because one of the beauties of the declaratory judgment is before you litigate, one of the purposes of the declaratory judgment is to have your rights, duties, and legal relations declared by way of contract. And so you're forcing that the judge actually have to work for the, maybe for the first time that year. And, and right. I know Ed, Ed is on the call here as well, and let me, let me add something to that. Uh, an itemized bill, okay, and a presentment. You're, you have a contract in fact because you actually own the property, you and your siblings. Um, yeah. And, and the, the contract can be implied. And you can do a bill of particulars, a, 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 an itemized bill, and present it uh, as a contract, in fact, with notice of a contract, in fact, and explain why that is so. And that gives you a, you know, a way to account for exactly what they stole from you and wow. present it to them as, you know, as a lead, basically. Who got and, paid for the timber? I'm sorry? Who got paid for the timber that they cut off your land? The, the stepmother and her son and the logger. There were three of them involved. All right? And when this happened, I immediately went out and started finding out, what do I have to do? I didn't even have a lawyer. I gathered all the data and information, and everybody kept saying, you have to do a stump count. You have to do a dollar evaluation property destruction and remediation evaluation, all right, which I did. And I had a couple guys that were in total incompetence, had no clue what they were doing. Their reports were, were a total waste of time and money. And then I finally went to the university and I said, who, to your knowledge, because they're affiliated with the uh, Forestry Commission and everything, it's a huge industry here, and... Uh, they mentioned a particular guy who was supposed to be one of the best in the whole state and has won many cases because of the thoroughness of his reports. Well, I met with the guy. We went out there, 
we did a GPS grid, uh, 36 sectors, and we walked every one of them, and we measured every stump down to one-inch stump that would have eventually, had it not been cut, become an oak tree in the future. Uh, we evaluated every species, every dollar amount, every uh, board foot that was there, and the total came out to be 1,200 tons, 4,000 trees, 86,000 board feet. A huge, huge theft. They, when I went no. to court, the attorneys and the judges told me that I would, the only allowance I could be granted was based on local market values, which means skids, railroad ties, fences, and barn lumber, and boards for trailer beds. Well, in my wildest imaginings, I would have never used that rare hardwood for such things as that. I planned on cutting it, milling it, machining it, and selling it, and processing it and manufacturing with it myself, cutting out all the middlemen, and that, that timber, based on world market values or retail market values or wholesale market values, would have been on the average of $10 a board foot. Well, if you multiply it out, 86,000 board feet, it's like $860,000 more realistic as to how I had planned for 30 years of my life to utilize it, not based on local market values of $60,000. Sure, which is and like then you've got damages and other things as well, punitive damages and, you know, there's a lot of things to your fraud, you know, the fraud that was committed against you. Right. There's also the aesthetic damage, you know, just ruining. Yeah. So well, there's crimes. My future, my life. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask Ed. So, what would you suggest as well as a bill of, you know, bill of particulars and notice of uh, contract and file? I would definitely demand a true bill, not just from, not just from the lumber company uh, that cut the cut his property. See, it's his property. So he said earlier something about some organization told him he could only uh, recover X number of dollars for barn wood and other things. But see, the thing is, it's his property. They can't put a value on his property. His property is his property, and it's what that, worth whatever he says it is. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming at the beginning here that this land is in your name. Is that correct? Mine, my, my brother, and my sister's, yes. Okay. So your, I would present a true bill to both your, the, the lumber company that cut your land without your permission, that took your wood, and I would also present a true bill to your sister's because what I hear you saying is you didn't get any part of this money. You didn't even know it happened until not, after Not it happened. his sister. It was the mother and no, it was uh, my the, dad's the second husband's wife. mother. Yeah. My father's second wife, who was allowed to live on the 17 acres in the house under a life estate tenancy. And but she had no ownership. That, she had no ownership connected to my land. Um, she owned 40 acres adjoining the 17 acres where the house was where she was allowed to live as a life estate tenant until the day she died. Uh, 
But, they but the property lost. still belongs to you. The property's in your name. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, you've got a great claim. I'll tell you another thing. This, he sounds like an excellent candidate to me for where we all met, Dave and Daniel. Yeah. He, I agree. Why don't, why don't we discuss this? Uh, maybe we set up a conference call and discuss it. Yes. Well, I, I would like that, and that's why I said it gets a little convoluted. It, you know, but I can tell you every little bit of minutia because I've been studying this you know, with all my energy for seven years, and I keep running into this, this, uh, this dead end. And I, it, it, all, it defies logic to me because the facts are all there. They've admitted it. There's a witness. The, the dollar value, the destruction value, has all been evaluated down to the penny. So what is the problem here? Well, let me go back, David. You brought up a good point, and I'll, I'll, pr- I'll pretty much end there because I could continue on to make it clear for you. But you you brought up a point, and this began to gel in my mind at a certain time. The prosecutor was all gung-ho. He was all on my side. We're going to eat these people alive, on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, it was like someone flipped the light switch from black to white, light on, light off. And I found out something else. Other than just the logger who cut my property, his father had been a logger in that same region where the prosecuting attorney had been a, a forester. Okay, now the forester is the guy who evaluates the timber and the land and, and the destruction and how much dollar value and what trees and species. I just began to think, you know, it's kind of funny. He was all on my side, then all of a sudden, no case, nothing to be pursued, uh, nothing, you know, there is no crime. Um, well, Arlen, there's have, never there's, I, there's never any back back room payoffs when it comes to government. Let me tell you, it's it's a that's a, <laughs> you know, that's a unicorn. It never happens. <laughs> You're a comedian too, huh? Yeah, I can oh, almost you know, hear you. Gotta, you got to make a light. <laughs> so I just suddenly one day said, you know, the likelihood of that is pretty real. That you know, the the logger's dad called up. And said, "Hey, uh, hey, buddy! Remember that time I helped you out? Uh, my son's got his ass in a jam, and can you help it go away?" Yep, I can almost guarantee you that that uh, that prosecutor got paid. Oh yeah, to make it go <laughs> away. Right. Or he's and made- like you said, logging is huge business. I'm I'm in the middle of logging, you know, paradise where I'm at, and let me tell you. The loggers own almost everything around here. You probably heard the name, uh, oh, what the heck was it? Um, Warehouser? <laughs> there it is. That's the one. Warehouser owns everything around here. Everything around here for miles. They just bought 18,000 acres that I've been looking at for five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I know you got yeah. other people, and I, you know, I just I wanted to give you the bare fundamentals as they exist. And like I say, I've been fighting this with everything I have in my being for seven years, only to get two weeks before trial and told it's postponed again for indefinitely to who knows how long. And I suddenly came to the realization this could go on till I'm dead. Well, let's hope not. I mean, why don't we uh, Why don't we make a plan at some point this week? I'll reach out to Daniel and 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 Ed, 
and we can do it. Maybe do a conference call and see what we can do. That would be wonderful. I would like that very much. Yes. My suggestion, though, at the end of this is don't hire another lawyer because that's uh, that's where you're running into your major problem in this case. Don't hire another. Well, you guys are quite quite adept at this uh, approach to law. This is all new to me. You know, I didn't feel I had any power whatsoever other than to hire an attorney and go through the legal judicial system as it's set up. This is all, uh, I mean, I've understood sovereign, sovereign law, sovereign rights, but I've never really been in a situation where I would have had to utilize it or apply it. Well, that's, that's not necessarily what we're talking about, sovereign law, sovereign rights. Um, you know, for 32 years I've been studying, you name the law, you know, or, or, or area of law, you know, and I've come to realize that there's only one, love my neighbor, and I fulfill it right. all, you know. Well, so I, mean. I may not be using the proper terminology, but well, you know what I'm again, getting at. When you're, when you're dealing with, with, when you're dealing, and it's a tort, it is a tort, you've been defrauded, you, you've been robbed, um, you know, there is a system there. And, you know, and, and again, um, Ed's got a lot of experience. Daniel's got a lot of experience. And, and you know, I've got some. And, and I think between us, we could definitely, you know, clue you in. I mean, again, I, I do this so people don't have to hire a lawyer, so that they can, you know, learn to manage their affairs in a way that, you know, that they should be able to as far as being beneficial to your affairs. So... Again, because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and, and, and I'm glad you came on the show, and I'm glad you reached out to Daniel, um, because I, I agree with that. I think this is a great case. I think you have a, a, a real good case, multiple cases. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, absolutely, without question. There's, there's no mystery. All the steel. Yeah. Well, thanks again for bringing it on the show, and I'll get a hold of Daniel and 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 Ed and we could see what we can do. Maybe set up a, a a conference call at some point this week. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure, and I I appreciate your time and and your input. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Daniel. All right. So, yeah, do we have anybody else? We got plenty of time here. We got uh, about fifty minutes to to answer questions and and hear your hear your topic. So. Floor is open I have, again. I have a question. Sure. Uh, I I had a question for the person really who's having uh, For who? I'm sorry. Well, this David even uh, sent some kudos. Hold on a second. What? Uh, who? Who was the? Who was the woman that was just talking? Martha. Oh, hey, Martha. Yeah. Did, what was your question? Well, I had a question for the gentleman that was talking about this, the, you know, this situation with the tree and, and the and the, and the um, theft and everything. Um, the documents that he's submitting into the court are they notarized um, statements and documents? Because I understand, um, and it was just something that I studied briefly, but. Um, I understand that anything that is notarized that the judge cannot he has to he has to admit it into 
the the file as evidence. And what what my understanding was is if something is not notarized, the judge doesn't even have to look at it or consider it. We think that everything is fair on the other side, and that everything we're giving to the courts is being you know evaluated, and that evidence. Most of the time, the judges don't even read the file. Um, well, I'll, I'll answer this if you don't mind. <laughs> um, personally, I don't use notaries. I prefer witnesses. A notary can only attest to that, that the person signing whatever document, okay, that they had government ID. That's it. <laughs> I use witnesses. By, by two or three witnesses, a matter is established. Okay, right. especially in court, especially in court. So I use witnesses but, because a witness can attest to the substance in the notice as well or whatever it is that, that they are witnessing, okay? Right, um, right. That, the judge but, is not going to turn around and not pay attention or, or take notice of a document signed by the testator or, or the affiant okay, that has two or three witnesses to the document, its signing, and the substance that is contained within without being but, very nervous to do so. Well, because but isn't not that, only, well but, at that point, you've got four people that can make the claim. Okay, but wait a minute. He's saying that he has all this documentation, and these judges sure. are not doing anything with it. They're just postponing it, postponing it, postponing it. So they're not looking at this seriously. They're not doing anything with it. They're ignoring it. Well he he's got certified documentation and again we're gonna we're gonna look at what all that is hopefully and uh, you know be able to uh, make heads and tails of it. You know, as the, so that we can see what's been going on and what they've been doing. But this case hasn't been dismissed, and it's and it just keeps getting postponed. But again, right. you know, we don't know what the court's intent is, uh, and we have—I have no idea, and I don't think Daniel has seen any of it—that uh, you know, to sit and make a judgment as to what they've been doing, or you know, yeah. uh, as far as prolonging this thing for seven years. So well, I that's that's that. something that you really have to look at the details. So yeah, yeah. Well, I, far, I, I mean, but don't you know, you know, as your, far as your concern goes. Yeah, it happens all the time in court. Uh, even, and I see notarized documents go, you know, to the, to the round file and, 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 you know, in prosecutors' offices and, and in the court. Courts are corrupt. Prosecutors are corrupt. They're trying to, you know, initiate a fraud of their own. <laughs> yeah. That's a given. That's, that's what the, you know, the whole beginning of the show was, to prove that that's the case. But in his situation, you know, in Arlen's situation, you've got, Two private parties or more, you know, he's got, he's got more on his side with his brothers and, you know, his siblings, and they've got more and all the agents and everybody who's participated in this fraud against them. So, you know, again, this is not him against the state, although there are a couple of actors that may be, you know, brought in to, to account. But as far as, uh, you know, this is a legitimate claim of, 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 you know, private injury between two private parties. Right. What Usually I the courts aren't really going, 
That's why I think it may even be possible to to put in a in a uh, declaratory judgment right to this judge, and that he might do the right thing. Because it has nothing, you know, it would show better on the government for doing so. They have nothing to lose from the from this whole thing anyway. That makes sense. Anyway, <laughs> did you have, did did that answer your question, Martha, a little bit? Um, no, not really. But um, because what I've noticed is I've noticed that there's a pattern to what the courts do. They always seem to favor any kind of commerce, any kind of corporation. Um, when it's an, a private individual who's fighting for something that is rightfully theirs, they tend to act in favor, of course, because they are courts of commerce. They're there oh, I agree. because that's uh, what they really there to. I, I, I gotta ask. I gotta ask, Arlen. Was it that company that that did the uh, mowing of the trees? Warehouser. Arlen's still there? Well, it sounds like Arlen might have got his answer and left town, but I hear what I hear what Martha's saying, uh, David. This is Ed again. And yep. I'll tell her what I've done to combat this problem. What I do is I do what you're both saying. I'll do an affidavit of truth along with anything else that I file into a record. And I'll put down two witnesses instead of a notary, but instead of calling them witnesses, I call them federal witnesses. So I put federal witness under the signature line, and I have two people sign it, and then I put it into the record. This way I don't have to pay for a notary, and it can't be thrown away. And as a matter of fact, by putting federal witness, I've noticed that they never throw it away. Right. It becomes oh. material evidence. I hope that helps you, Martha. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that does, um, that does, that does clarify. Federal witness scares them. For whatever reason, it scares them. So anything you put in, you file all your documents, and then you put an affidavit of truth clearly stating what the claim is that you're making and why you're making it, and then you have two of your friends sign it as federal witnesses and enter it into the record. And I guarantee you that, uh, they will not. They will not just throw it in the round file. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. I like that. I like that. I like that, Ed. Too. I'm over here chuckling. <laughs> That's good. Well, yeah. well, then it does it. I mean, when you have witnesses, it does make it material evidence. And, and you know, when, if if it does end up in a round file, that's tampering with material evidence, and it is a federal crime. Yeah. Well, and you the know, fact um, that you're making them federal witnesses, Martha, lets them know right up front that you're willing to take it to that level if you have to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. No, I love it. That's great, Ed. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Sure. Absolutely. Right on. Just keeps getting better. Just keeps getting better. <laughs> Do we have any other questions? Uh, we got, oh, we got about... Oh, I don't know, 45 minutes, roughly 50 minutes, plenty of time. Uh, a comment, Rich in California. Cool. Hey, Rich. 
Hi. Um, I, I've been listening to the uh, timber case, and uh, it's a it's a wow. It's a great little case here. I want to encourage you you guys when you get on your conference call to start off by looking reading the life estate just to make sure its boundaries with regard yes, to, to the, uh, the stepmother. Well, more so has how, how it relates to the property, how it describes the property and everything else, just so that there can be no convolution that she had the right to use the entire parcel and all of, all of the appurtenances, the trees and everything else, just, just to right. read it and make sure there isn't any issue there. And I, frankly, I would, I would want to look at the will or the trust or whatever it was that the father had, uh, his father had, or this, white, this woman who's uh, maybe being accused of uh, fraud, what, uh, what, he, what his documents say regarding her, and, uh, and then I would take it from there. I, I'm, I'm not overly concerned because the gentleman, I forget his name, he said that um, they presented a contract to, that was for other land to the timber cutters. And, uh, you know, that, that tells me that it was really fraud. pretty much, pretty much <laughs> fraud. But nevertheless, nevertheless, just because oh, like a lot of... The deed. I'd like to see the deed. Yes. So I, anyway, I, I just bring those up because before you spend a lot of time, you, you should know, I think, those two issues uh, and then, uh, and then get into it. But I just want to add my two cents on that. I appreciate it, Rich. Thank you. Absolutely. And again, you know, it, it, that, that's great because you can, you know, it, it does, uh, when, when people are contemplating their own cases as well, you know, you got to really look at it from all angles. You really do. I mean, that's part of pulling a case apart and analyzing it is, you know, making sure you don't miss any small details. Because yeah. that's the one thing you'll lose from, you know, especially know in a case I, like this. Yeah, I know that when I was handling, I ended up handling my own divorce, I fired three attorneys, and um, 10 years later, when we, my ex-husband was going to retire, um, he couldn't get his retirement until we settled the final phase of our divorce. And so... Um, <laughs> You he did a good up, job. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up, um, and, you know, there was really no argument. I just told him, hey, you know what, take whatever you want, um, that I don't want anything. He, left, he moved out. I had to put everything in storage. But, you know, long story short, um, when I fired my attorney, I found out, the last attorney, I should say, at $10,000 later, um, I found out that, um, I had more power in pro per. As soon as his attorney found out, as soon as my, his attorney found out that I had fired three attorneys and I was going to be dealing with her, she told my ex-husband, "You know what? She's already fired three attorneys. She's in pro per. I don't want to deal with her. So just sign the quadro." <laughs> Yeah, because, well, I, you know, I can totally understand that. And again, once 
I took over a workers' comp case that a lawyer had for two years. There was 3,000 pieces of evidence, 3,000. And it was a big jumbled mess that I got from the previous attorney. But when you start to look at the, all the discovery in a case and all these things that lawyers don't show you, even though they represent you and are supposed to, you know, be, be uh, you know, uh, transparent with anything that comes in, you know, I, it took me three months to go through 3,000 documents and make a case out of it. It's not right. easy, you know. Um, especially you know, when, when, these, when these things are drawn out by lawyers just looking to make money. Right. This is what I found out is that these attorneys, they bounce paperwork back and forth. My attorney would send me something that his attorney would send to my attorney, and I would call my attorney and say, do I need to fill out these form interrogatories? And he says, no, but you <laughs> It shows the judge that you're cooperating. I'm like, screw that. I'm not cooperating. I'm not going to participate in this paper chase that's going on here. So I got really fed up because I'm somebody I just wanted it over. Um, so when I, it was a relief when I got, finally realized that improper attorneys know they can't send you a whole bunch of paperwork that they can bill their client for, and then your attorney bills you for having to process and basically mail you the paperwork. Um, right. Well, again, it's a racket. That's how they make their money. That's why lawyers live in big, fancy houses. Right. It's ping pong. They're yeah. Well. <laughs> back and forth and sending you the bill. Right. Well, when you go through, if you look at almost any legal practice, it's ping pong or tennis or whatever you want to call it, where it's back and forth, right? This one moves, that one moves, this one moves, that one moves. Well, you know, again, I prefer a stopple if we're talking about it. <laughs> it stops. It's done. I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to go on any further than I want it to go on, which is not at all. So, right. again, when, you, when you're dealing with lawyers, their whole game is make it last as long as you can so that you can make the most money from your client. They don't care about the client at all. They, they care about your checkbook. And the second it goes dry, they leave. Yeah. Yeah, because the only thing these attorneys had to do, we were very amiable with the separation of everything. Um, the only thing this attorney, these attorneys had to do was to set up the quadro, and that was it. Yeah. That's well, and again, we, again, in a we, in a divorce, you don't need their permission to 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 separate from your husband anyway. Uh, right. Again, it's giving that permission. It's a, and again, that all goes back to the original fraud that we talked about at the start of this call. It, you know, why should I have to ask government for permission to get married or to get divorced, exactly. so that lawyers and judges and courts can make a fortune and, and separate our property amongst themselves? Sorry, not interested. I think that's garbage. Because it's a contract. Well, again, why? What makes you? What, what induced you to believe that you had to have this contract in the first place? Exactly. It was. It was and that's the problem. It's the it's the in, in, indoctrinated mindset that we all have or had. Exactly. <laughs> right. But again, it's the same thing about hiring a lawyer. <laughs> Most people would think. Ten times before hiring a lawyer, if they realize that when you hire a lawyer, you become a ward of the court and, and deemed incompetent to manage your own affairs. Yeah. Well, 
I have, it was an awesome feeling taking care of that myself. Right. That was like awesome. Um, I took his attorney right out of the loop. She told me, sign the paperwork and send it back to me. I went to the courts and I made copies of both my quadro and his quadro. I filed a declaration statement in there saying, these are the only two quadros I have signed because I didn't trust his attorney. And um, she actually went to the court and removed one of them because the judge saw the two quadros in the file and he signed them. <laughs> she, she pulled well. it out of the And, uh, you know, I had to go back to the court and say, you know, what happened to the quadro? I, there were two of them in there. Um, they explained to me that it was a federal crime for them to pull anything out of there. They asked me if I have another copy. The, the clerks were really helpful. They said, if you have another copy of the quadro, go take it to the judge. Sure, and they didn't find. want to be charged with tampering with uh, evidence, <laughs> material evidence in a case. So, I, you know, I, the judge I, I've had, uh, I've had uh, clerks tell me they can't take my paperwork. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you can't take my paperwork? It's material evidence in a case. You need to. That's your job is to put paper into the case, evidence into the case file. <laughs> and you're going to tell me you, you, you can't do it? You better right. pull out your law book and tell me where that was. Because as far as I know, you refusing it is tampering with federal, you know, with with uh, material evidence, and and right. that's a crime, and, and and I've had it, you know. And again, this is right. the nice thing, and it, and it really, I'm sure, and I can tell in your voice that you know it does. It gives you a, a a good feeling inside that you can defend yourself when it comes to right. these interlopers that that uh, have no business in your business. Right. It does, and, then and, you and can... learning this stuff is you know it's freeing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you do realize that you have more power than what you realize. No, yeah, absolutely. And you do. Yeah. Legitimately, you do. You have all the power over you and your stuff. And anybody that says so, that, that you don't is an interloper. Anyone right. that's requiring of you, of you or your stuff, is an interloper. Unless you owe them something, right? Owe no man anything except to love them. Perfect ending to that one. Right. You know, and, and it does. It does feel good to be, and again, that's part of being a man or a woman. You take responsibility for your own affairs. You manage your own affairs. You're responsible mm -hmm. for your own actions, you know, which is why you could walk into any court with clean hands and, and, and present the facts of any case. And you shouldn't be afraid of these people because, again, they do this intimidation tactics in order to stop you right. from, from, from realizing your true authority. It's, we've been told, why, otherwise, why would they teach it to us our whole lives? Why exactly. would they claim that they have this magical authority that, you know, because some people voted, these folks are now, you know, our masters and we have to follow every little, you know, ridiculousness that comes out of their mouth and is scratched down on paper. Well, you, know, you, can have, you can have these conversations with people, you know, and they say, well, we need somebody, you know, we need the cops, we need this. And I'm like, why? Don't you have any self-control? I get it. <laughs> and and I, love that, I love that you say that, Martha, because tell people what you were. I, was a, I worked for a Department of Corrections. I was a correctional officer. 
<laughs> so you work for the man. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I, 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 I it saw how corrupt. And, you know, I, I have to say, um, you had a lot of criminals wearing badges. <laughs> and still do. Yeah, the only difference between the inmates and the criminals were that the inmates were the ones that were caught. Yep, and nobody questions the ones with the badges because supposedly they have the right to be God over everybody. Or the ones that call themselves presidents or lawmakers or judges. Such a lie. Oh, yeah. Such a lie. Because, well, because you know, cops don't break the law. Of course. <laughs> they break it every time they try to enforce it. Every time. Well, yeah. Every well, they, time. They, even break the laws that they're supposed to be adhering to. Um, you know, they, we take these um, uh, code of ethics, these oaths, and, and uh, you know, we, we get these How, how thick are those books? When, when you got your job, how big is the book on the code of ethics for your job or the, you know, what you're supposed to do, your, your you know, standard operating procedures books? They're huge. The Memorandum of Understanding, I would, that's part of it. Then you've got the DOM, which is the um, oh, the director's, um, I can't even remember what the, the DOM represents. Uh, basically, operations manual. It's the operations manual, the department operations manual. They have so many rules, but you know what? <laughs> How many of them, how, how, how much reading material would you say? Um, I'm going to say, I don't know, probably three books, three manuals. And do you think everybody takes the time to ra actually read them? No, not unless a situation comes up. And even if it does come up, there's so much corruption and so much good old boy network in there. And then there's, of course, there's that other, that other um, little, uh, what is it called, um, if there's, you know, there's other factors involved, you know, if you're, if you're having an affair with an, a lieutenant or a captain, then hey, you know what, you can't get in trouble. If you're um, married to someone who's there, no, they're in the club. <laughs> you know, if you're on the, how, how long were you, how long were you employed? Seventeen years. There you go. Yeah. See? Seventeen years before I got hurt. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so you know, uh -oh. it's they only the thing about all these agencies is that they only go after people when they decide that they don't like the person, or but if it's somebody else, or if it benefits them financially. Well, it's it's not even that. It's uh, if someone does something. Uh, they they are quicker to cover it up than to do the right thing because if it's a buddy they're they're going to get off if they're sure. related if, you know if they go right but if, if they're not there is a huge paid incentive for every prisoner that sits in a cage okay mm -hmm. hundred thousand oh, yeah. plus a year in a in a state level sixty eighty thousand mm -hmm. in, in a county level. And at the federal level, forget about it. They're right. sucking money right off the top. Maybe a hundred fifty, two hundred thousand per per inmate per year. Yeah. So they're stealing all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's, 
that's only part of it because you've got all these other outside contracts too. Of course. Joe Bob, the, 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 the warden's cousin and, and, and uncle need to get paid. Oh, they need a new roof on the prison? Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, come on. This is, this is government. They, they, yeah. they are corrupt. They're corrupt. Yeah. They, built a, they built a bridge in Missoula. I think it cost like $18 million for a bicycle bridge to go across four lanes of road that, you know, 20 feet away is a crosswalk with a light. <laughs> $18 million. There's only yeah. 60,000 people in the whole damn city. So this cost each one of them a good chunk of change. And you yeah. know what? I've never seen a single person on the bridge, ever. <laughs> and it's already falling apart. $18 million yeah. worth. So, yeah, that never happens. That never happened. <laughs> I grew up in New York. I used, to see, I used to see, you know, one person show up at a, at a house auction on the courthouse steps. Well, not on the courthouse steps, at wherever it was supposed to be held. And the public notice in the newspaper had the wrong address. And, you know, hey, what do you know? The sheriff's buddy bought it for pennies on the dollar with no competition. Come on. Never happens, right? Never happens. They don't, they don't, they don't negotiate the, the garbage pickup, uh, you know, at the card table in private clubs like my old man used to own. Doesn't happen. <laughs> the whole city contracted with absolute guys that were on, on, under indictment for everything from racketeering to murder. And they were still picking up the garbage at the police station in the very jail that some of them were sitting in. So yeah, corruption doesn't happen in this in the government. That's that's a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, it it fascinates me that people have been lied to for the majority of their lives. They're constantly catching these people in lies, and they still believe them. They still. Well, have their I, I don't get it either. <laughs> I don't get blows my mind. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. Just mind-boggling. Well, it's Stockholm syndrome too, and it's the in, yeah. and it's the indoctrination, and and you know again they don't teach you to think in school. They teach you to 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 you know regurgitate the lies that they're telling you. I pledge allegiance Thanks. every day. I pledge mm-hmm. allegiance every single day. Right? <laughs> well, oh, yeah. you know, come on, that's not indoctrination. That what's his name? Uh, who who? Uh, uh, it was just on the top of, tip of my tongue. Um, who trained the dogs with the whistle? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Somebody on this call should know. Oh, man, I don't know time this moment. Huh? Pavlov's Pav- Pav- dogs. Pavlov's dogs. Thank you. Pavlov's dogs. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See, we got we got people with brains on this on this show. I may be losing some of mine, but <laughs> no, good good stuff tonight. Thank you guys. Um, we got about twenty minutes. I'm I'm definitely willing to take a couple more questions if there are any. Well, we still got a bunch of folks on, so I'm sure we can come up with something to talk about for the next twenty minutes. I am probably going to uh, 
take this notice of default judgment estoppel by representation of fact, and uh, I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'm going to uh, get rid of any names and things like that, and make it into a, a, a type. Excuse me, a type of second notice template to the uh, judicial notice and um, memorandum of law. So probably by the end of the week I'll be able to get that done and uh, you know anybody that wants it's more than welcome to it and I will send it to you to shoot me an email at a free man in Babylon at gmail.com uh, again that's a the letter a free man in Babylon at gmail.com or reach out to the website and get a hold of me through there that's uh, bulletproofsolutions.org or you can find me on Facebook David Horowitz, or the Facebook page for this show, How to Win in Court Without a Liar. Um, any one of those ways you can get a hold of me and, and reach out and ask me if you want it. And uh, as soon as it's done, I'll make sure to get it to you. And if you are interested in the um, notice and, and uh, memorandum, I do give that out as, as well. Just reach out to me and ask, and it's yours. And um, yeah, I appreciate all the input tonight um, and, and everybody that's uh, – participating and everybody that's listening um it's been a really good show um again anybody has any more questions i'll be happy to answer another question or two before the end of the show or uh you know we can call it a night it's up to you guys but don't be afraid because no question is stupid and uh we usually end up helping somebody and somebody needs to hear it so but i heard somebody say something yeah yeah, I wanted to know, is Yuri on tonight? I don't know. Shout out, Yuri, are you here? <laughs> well, not tonight, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about something. So, yeah. What's up? I wanted to talk to him, connect with him. I really would like to... Um, you know, a connection, a community thing. When I went to your Facebook page, I saw that you don't, you, you I guess you keep your friends, you know, secret or something, or you, you don't uh, have it on the Not public side. You mean on the, on the, uh, on my personal page or on the, on the page for the show? Mm, oh, I, ha- I don't, I didn't know about the page for the show. Which one is that one? How to Win in Court Without a Liar. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I don't yeah. think I've gone to the... And again, I mean, I could, I could, you know, I could, this is Martha still, right? Yes. Okay, I <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah, I could reach out to Yuri and see if he'd be willing to talk. I, I don't see why he wouldn't. Okay. Well, I'll go to the, um, I'll go to the um, Facebook page, too, so. I yeah. Because I thought, I thought were... were where I were, the one that I have right now, I thought that was the site. So okay. Yeah, I, I don't even know if he if uh, tell you the truth. I mean, I've got so many people on my Facebook page. I don't know if he is one of them. Um, <laughs> again, I don't I don't know how he originally found me to begin with. But um, <laughs> either way, I, I keep in touch with him by email. So like I said, I could reach out if if you, if you don't find a way to to reach out on your own. 
Okay. Yeah, I just um, right. you can go ahead. No, no, no. I can't. I can't. All right. So, uh, any other questions? We still got about fifteen minutes left. We can we can do a mini topic. <laughs> whatever uh, whatever you got, guys. Hey, uh, this is Mike uh, from Pennsylvania. I called in. I didn't want to interrupt anyone. Uh, Ed from Georgia uh, invited me on. Great. Welcome. How you doing, Mike? Thank you, sir. Oh, not too bad. I, I don't really know anything about it. I just happened to have it. Uh, so I don't know much about it. I, I went to the website just before I called in. Right. That's all. You're breaking up, You're breaking up a little bit. Mike, you there? Hello. Is anybody there? Am I the one that got broken up? David, this is Ed. That's uh, one of my clients up in Pennsylvania. Uh, oh, okay. I thought the show might interest him because he's a very oh, studious of the law. Yeah, Mike, you're breaking up quite a bit. Ed was talking there. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, I, I, thought I didn't hear him. Sorry. That's okay. Sorry I was that. having a hard time hearing you as well. Go ahead, go ahead though, Mike. Right. If, uh, <laughs> I want to hear what you got to say. Just say I. I can tell you. Um, you know, as far as that, I've got a few different things going on, uh, different cases, but it's mainly. Uh, Related to child support, uh, kind of, and then you have it driving while suspended, that type of thing. It starts to cause other problems, so um, sure. we're working on that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, Ed's, the, Ed's the man. <laughs> Ed, absolutely. I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't said this, and I, I haven't introduced you, but Ed. Uh, if you'd like, please introduce yourself and, and tell tell my listeners a little bit about what you do and your and your experience. Sure, I'm uh, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm 54 years old. Uh, I realized the difference between a state citizen and a U.S. citizen early on. I've been studying constitutional case law for over 40 years, so. <clears throat> When it comes down to it, I'm finding that all the judges and attorneys that my clients face are having a real hard time responding to constitutional case law, uh, especially 12B6 denials and the stuff that they normally get away with in all these courts. They have a really hard time with it. So what I've specialized in here lately, I've worked with a guy in New York and a guy in Wisconsin, and we've cut down the process. We're helping fathers that love their children, but they're being eaten alive by the counties and the states under child support enforcement judgments. Uh, they have contempt hearings, and we figured out a process where we can stop the contempt cold, and at the end of the process, we can pull the father out of the system completely. And we and, do that and, by and, proving fraud yeah. on the record. <laughs> And and uh, how how many times have you had a success in doing this? 
combined, we're 118 and 0. For for me and my partner, we're 70 and 0. But combined with all three, Wisconsin, Georgia, and New York, we're 70 and 0. Or I'm sorry, 118 and 0 total. But I've been involved in 48 cases, and I've had 70 judgments, and that's just with filing three forms into every case. So it's not like I'm hitting them with a bunch of uh, case law. One of the forms you already have is the Bill of Particulars. The other two forms are an uh, uh, affidavit, in a mo- in affidavit of a motion to dismiss and then a motion to dismiss for lack of uh, subject matter jurisdiction, which is where you and I share a lot of uh, similarities, Dave. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's, uh, but you're 100% on this. That's correct. That is correct. I hope they my listeners understand that. <laughs> they can't beat us. And the teeth of that whole system are these contempt hearings where they bring the father in for a show cause hearing, then a contempt hearing, and they say, okay, either you pay us the purge amount or you're going to jail, and they have no other option. Well, me and my little group are the third option, and we're the best option for any father facing a contempt hearing. And if you're in that system, trust me, you might not be in a contempt hearing now, but you will be eventually. Uh, Can I ask you, does that go the other way as well for women? No. No, it doesn't. I mean, women, ever since, see... I'm from a, a, a split family. My mo- mother divorced when I was six years old, and my father didn't pay child support, so my mother had to go it alone. Uh, I don't deal with any – I always ask for the case file before I even agree to take a case because I want to see if I've got a father that's looking just to get out of the system or they're right. looking to co-parent their child without the state's interference. And once right. I make that determination, then I go, I move forward, and I get those guys out of the system. And what we're doing is we're proving fraud on the record because it's an administrative court, and they're using threat, duress, and coercion to force every one of these men either to pay them or go to jail. Right. So they're they're acting as if it was criminal. That's correct. They're acting as it's criminal, even though they call them civil matters. So essentially what we're doing is we're saying, well, wait a minute, these guys are being treated like criminals, so therefore they have the right to know the nature and cause of these proceedings, and that's where the Bill of Particulars comes in. And I don't know if I told, I don't know if uh, Daniel told you this, but I've never had one answer to one question that I have on that BOP, and Mike can attest to that because he served uh, probably four or five of them. Nice. Well, I can't wait to get your feedback on my notice. <laughs> yes, yes, and I and I did get a copy. I appreciate you sending it to me. But uh, yeah, uh, also if if uh, anyone is facing contempt charges or they may in the future, if they've got a balance in arrears, it's coming, fellas. So uh, you can contact. Can I give my? Would it be okay to give my email address out, David? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Never Judged Again, and my email address is Never Judged Again at ProtonMail.com. Again, that's uh, Never Judged Again at ProtonMail.com for any father or non-custodial parent, whether it be a, a mother or a father, that are, are facing contempt charges through these corrupt courts. 
That's what I was wondering, to make sure that if a mother is on the other, you know, if it's a mother on the other end, rather than the father and the roles are reversed, this works for them as well. It does, but it's a very minute, uh, I mean, we maybe combined helped four mothers. The rest are all men. It's all geared towards the, the uh, making the, the father pay. And I was going to say, back in the can, 60s, can this also, parents, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Could, can this also work for custody cases? It can, because it's, based on, it's all based on federal uh, Title IV-D law. Right, and that's what I was figuring anyway. But uh, so, again, the same process works. If children were taken from parents without any, you know, authority under this administrative garbage, you know, saying that they may have been in danger or whatever, um, you know, that the uh, CPS takes the children away, and then they've got, you know, and, and they're cranking in the money on the guardianship while these parents go broke trying to get their children back. The argument is not too far from the argument you make. What, the reason they get these people and rook them into this con game, this, this thing called child support enforcement or child custody hearings, is because they call them children. But if they would just go back to what the constitutional case law calls them, they're called offspring. offspring. In other words, they're your private property. 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 They're your yep. pri- private property. And what right does the state have to enforce you and tell you what to do on your private property? I know where they think they get it. They imply it through the marriage itself. Uh, sure. Or if you've got two parents that didn't get married, they just imply it by force. Right. Well, you also, you got to understand that's also uh, little known, but it's true eminent domain. Yes. People don't know this, but that marriage license, when, when you go to the state and get a marriage license, the state figures that they own your children. They think any, any property that you have between you belongs to them. Yep. And you registered them and went through all the fun parts of making a trust with the government. But And, and they did <laughs> it fraudulently. They oh, did it fraudulently. That was what I was trying to explain this, you know, when we first started this discussion tonight. <laughs> Right. Can I jump in here a second, you guys? Yeah, sure. There's a, there's a, okay, this is Daniel, and I'm so happy to hear Ed and Dave talking. There's one point that I wanted to bring out to this, because I know nobody here, I know Ed and I know uh, um, Dave um, here recently, but I can tell you that these men are not trying to um, get self-grandeur and egos. So if there's anybody on this call that is interested in learning this process, that is what Ed is looking for. I want to remind you, Ed, that you're looking for seven members, and uh, seven men or women in every state to bring this system down so that we can uh, rid us of this evil. So I wanted to remind you of that so you can make that plug. That is our, that is our goal. I need seven sharp guys in every state, and I, can, I believe that I can bring the whole system down. There's 15 million men a year coming into this, this corrupt system and I just don't, we don't have enough time. I mean, we might get to a fraction of 1% of all the victims going through child support enforcement. 70 is a drop in the bucket. 70 is a drop in the bucket in all reality. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm 15 million new men every year. 
The system itself is $28 billion industry, and that's just uh, county and state level. That doesn't include what they're getting paid by the federal government to yeah. process these child, these children. Right. That's, that's the main inducement right there under Title IV. That's right. It's about a 55 – I figure it's about a $55 billion annual industry. I can't and it's it, all predicated on fraud, every single bit of it. Every every single penny. And the, and the thing is, the reason that they garnish your wages or they take your money, do you know that the employer is also making a kickback for processing the payments as well as the county themselves? They're, they're, in other words, what the father's paying is not what the mother and child is getting. Right. No, most of it gets eaten up in administrative costs, which is why you don't want them managing your affairs in the first place. That's correct, sir. The, you're better off. Uh, and for anyone, uh, my personal philosophy after doing this for years is the lawyers are the evil in the system. They're the ones that keep the wheels turning and the money coming in. If you, think, if you sit back and think about it for a second, a lawyer is involved between just about every financial commercial transaction that takes place in America today. Yeah, every single one. Every so, uh, single one. And then there was another guy earlier in the conversation that was talking about uh, mortgage fraud or property taxes. To me, property taxes are nothing more than due process and theft. It's a due process violation and it's theft. Uh, but what they do, the this, this sinister secret to property taxes is, if you pay cash for your property with U.S. dollars, the government feels like you're using their credit to purchase that land, and then therefore they have an interest in it because you use their credit. If you go back well, to 1820... They, they, <laughs> they, they assume ahead. and presume to own you and your property anyway. Whether you use their currency, what they've offered as currency, or I should say decreed as currency, as their own. So I suggest Again, everybody do what I do from here on out. If you go to buy property, buy it with gold or silver. That's what I did with mine back in July. I bought five acres in Georgia for $50, which was the face value on the U.S. Gold Eagle that I paid for the land. There you go. There you go. Buy it, with gold, buy it with gold and silver. Pay for the house in cash in U.S. dollars. Because right. whoever owns now the land, whoever owns the land owns everything sitting on top of it. Yep. The Absolutely. other thing I wanted to say is uh, before 1964, I think, if you go back and look at old mortgages or, or a, what do they call general warranty deeds or limited warranty deeds or whatever kind of deed they give you when you own your house, you'll yep. notice that there's only two signatures on it, the seller's and, and the, the closing attorney. The, no, the buyer, well, back then, yes, the buyers were on it. But after 64, they took the buyers off. The, the buyers don't sign it now. Now, why is that? It's because that constitutional. Because there's no legitimate transfer of title, no transfer right. of the deed. Right. In constitutional law, there first has to be an agreement. Yep. And without that your signature, there is no agreement. <laughs> right. So they, hold, so, they hold, and so they hold your title in a trust, 
and then they manage the trust by charging you property taxes. There you go. I've said it before. There's a confirmation if I ever heard one. Yes. Yeah, I so appreciate I, I, you coming I, on the show tonight. <laughs> sure, sure. You know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe in the next week or two, I'll have you on as a special guest, and we could talk for an hour. I'll let you talk for an hour, and then take some questions from uh, my listeners. That'd be great. Sure, I'll be happy. Sure, I'll be happy to do it. Happy to do it. Awesome. Awesome. The more people that we get out of the system, the better off we're all going to be. I absolutely 100% agree. 100% agree. The more people that manage their own affairs, the better off this whole world would be. Yes, sir. And without any lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what they say about lawyers. If you, you know, if you buried them up to their neck in the sand, you don't have enough sand. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for being on the show tonight. It is 8 o'clock. This has been How to Win in Court Without a Liar. Thank you very much, Ed and Daniel and all the other guests, Martha and and, and Rich and Mike and everybody else that participated tonight. Thank you very much for making it, uh, you know, very informational, and I appreciate that. You guys all enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, hopefully, God willing, we'll talk again next week. Have a great night. Thank you. Good night. Thanks.